Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. Aren't they a fine trio? All three branches of the Direct Podcast get major spotlight this episode. The Book of Boba Fett is here. We have a new trailer for the Batman and is Ghost Rider coming to the MCU. All that as well as an MCU year in review, our 2022 wish list, and an interview with the Witcher's Paul Bullion. Time codes are in the description below. Let's get busy. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Not us unite. I'm a superhero! Welcome into the Direct Podcast, episode 66. We didn't even plan for our Boba Fett review to fall on episode 66, but here we are. It's perfect. The stars have absolutely aligned. My name is Liam Crowley, the content machine, joined as always by my co-host, this time the Tuscan, Matt Remke. Matt, I feel like with that nickname, I got to take two steps back whenever I'm close to you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a I'm a vicious being with you know very little communication skills, and you know I like doing the thing over the head, you know, <laughs> good stuff. It's a it's a very chaotic energy with the Tuscan nickname, but you know that's all we got from Book of Boba Fett episode one. So I'm gonna roll with it. Absolutely, recording here on December 29th in your ears, likely on New Year's Eve if you're listening to Day of. A lot of holidays going on. Before we get started with some quick questions. I just want to go to you first, Matt. How are your How was your holidays? How was your Christmas? What did you get under your tree that just wowed you this year? Yeah, um, it was a it was a good holiday. We uh, went home back to Indiana to uh, the weekend before, so we did four Christmases and as many days the weekend before Christmas, mm. which was chaotic and you know travel and you know anybody who you know goes back home for Christmas understands. Um, but that, that was great, and then we came back and it was just a chill sit indoors watch movies kind of christmas weekend it was great um you know we uh watched all the things we um you know opened presents ate so much food just so there was two of us and every time it's just two of us during a holiday we cook like there's a whole like group of people coming over not the case um but no it was a blast the colts won um good football weekend good christmas a uh, gift that blew me away i suppose um uh you know they, I, I never know what to ask for ever. Hey, Matt, what do you want for Christmas? No idea. Whatever. Don't care. You know, like I, I'm not a gift guy. Um, I did get a record player, which was pretty cool. Oh, okay. Uh, with both guardians on vinyl. I was about to say, I already know you got those as add-ons. Um, yep. And I had pet, I ha- already had pet sounds by the beach boys and 2020 vision by Justin Timberlake. What's up? Um, that was really awesome. And uh, it was just a great holiday, man. I got to just play with my dog and chill out and watch movies. What about you, Liam? How was your holiday? Yeah, it was solid. Same same as you in terms of the, the chill factor. You know, COVID situation currently in the Northeast is having everyone kind of on their toes. So we kind of just stayed home with the family. But yeah, I was very, very happy uh, with this year's Christmas. You know, in a year where I got a new laptop, which is going to make my work life so much easier, my favorite gift was my brother got me one more day, the graphic novel, uh, Spy- uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. And I just appreciate that so much because I didn't tell him. I just told him, you know, if you're looking for gift ideas, anything comic book related. And he did his research and he said, what is No Way Home semi-based off of one more day? He got it on Amazon. I was just like, you know, that extra layer of thought means so much. Yeah. So uh, shout out Michael Crowley. Thank you for the lovely gift. 
and uh, very much appreciate it. Well, and you're going to get your Mephisto fix. We've been waiting for very ever true. so patiently. You know what I mean? And I just thought of another gift that I got that was pretty great. Ha! The history, Yo. the story of Marvel Studios. It's that big, giant picture book that everybody got months ago, and I just got it for Christmas. So very excited. I feel like you need to sit by the fire and like read that out loud with uh, a glass of whiskey and uh, a yeah. scally cap or something. I almost, I don't know what scally cap is, but um, I yeah, almost, the Irish cap, the, you know, you know what those are. Oh, this thing, the golf well, hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. If I kill all the golfers, I'm, they're going to lock me up and throw away the key. Um, I almost want to read it and like bring a, like a, tidbit of information every week you know what i mean like matt's marvel studios book fact of the day kind of thing but no i'm super excited to read that one for sure that that could be fun that'd be a fun way to kick off the show but as of right now we always kick off these shows with some quick questions we have two this week and many more in the pipeline if you did leave a quick question we don't answer it in this episode that's because I thought they made for very good direct discourse topics. So we might get in a, an elongated chat later on in the coming weeks with your question as the topic. But first we go from Betrayed Yeti 72 who says, Liam and Matt told me to leave this review because they're close to 100, which we so close are. We're at 98 time of recording. So if you haven't left one, uh, please head over to iTunes. We would really appreciate it. Uh, and he continues. Also, the show is awesome. So there's that. Thank you so much. Question, you may have done this before, new listener, but what are your ideal castings for Fantastic Four? Doesn't have to be all of them. I would like to see Alexander Ludwig as Johnny Storm has the look. He's young, and I think he would have that swagger that the character is known for. Matt, I don't remember if we did our official Fantastic Four castings. We've kind of sprinkled it in in past episodes of actors we'd like to see in certain roles. Uh, but as Betrayed Yeti asks here, are there any names that jump out to you uh, in terms of actor character pairings? Yeah. Um, uh, is So are we just doing Johnny Storm here? So uh, I, I think we did do this a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, but I feel like a lot of our uh, fantastic forecastings were like specifically for Johnny Storm. If this person doesn't get adam warlock i want them to be johnny storm yeah. you know but like now that we have our warlock uh, will poulter who's also in a show called dope sick on hulu and he's fantastic mm -hmm. um very good show um i guess any like hot this isn't a hot take this isn't a new take but um dockery montgomery how do you say Baker montgomery there you Baker go. montgomery man i think he would be perfect for johnny storm um obviously he's got the look he's a gorgeous human being I only know him from Stranger Things. I didn't see the Power Rangers movie, but there's his blockbuster experience. You know, that movie was, I, I, I don't even know what the reception of that movie was, if I'm being completely honest. But, um, you know, he was the Red Ranger in a Power Ranger movie. So he has a leading man uh, background. And what I like about him in Stranger Things that I think could apply here to Johnny Storm, obviously very cocky, obviously very, uh, you know, cool guy vibe. He really nailed that down in a really awesome way. But so much emotion and so much drama and terror um, for uh, that character in Stranger Things. That range coming into a confident, cocky character like Johnny Storm, that's something I'm always looking for with these comic book characters that are um, a little more over the top. You know, if you can really nail that, uh, you know, exciting, charismatic character and then bring it all the way back down to somebody I feel for emotionally, that's that kind of range I'm always looking for. So I think uh, Dacre Montgomery is going to be my pick for Johnny Storm until it doesn't happen. 
<laughs> I love the choice of Dacre as well. He's in my top three easily. My number one will always and forever be Zach Efron for the role. But I do hear in the criticism of he might be a little too old, especially mm-hmm. if they want Human Torch to kind of have that like Spider-Man team up that they're known for in the comics. And they might want to put them at a similar age. So for that reason, I'll pivot a little bit and I'll toss a new name into the pool. Rudy Pankow. Uh, if anyone watches Outer Banks, he plays JJ, the blonde of the group. He is just phenomenal in that show. And he, you know, no pun intended, plays a bit of a hothead. He can snap on a moment's notice and he's he's gritty in your face, but isn't like the strongest of the group. And I think he would just play a, a really well uh, Johnny Storm. He is very much on the younger side. He's only 23 years old, putting him, I believe, two years younger than Tom Holland. But he still looks around that, you know, late teens age. So I would be a fan of Rudy Pankow in the role, as well as Zac Efron, as well as Dacre Montgomery. I think Human Torch is one of those roles where if you have the talent available and if you're looking at the right names, you really can't go wrong. So I'm, I'm looking forward to whenever they do eventually cast the Fantastic Four. And something we got to remember when we do Fantastic Four fan casting is like, I, at least for me, you know, I, I'm Fantastic Four is a comic I have read more than most if i'm being you know it's spider-man fantastic four i think for me as far as like properties i've read um i think that something we got to think about when we do fan casting is it's all about chemistry it's all going to be about how johnny and sue relate to each other how sue and reed relate to each other johnny and ben ben and reed you know like those those dynamics between the individual characters and then again as a family as a whole that's going to be the most important thing so when it comes down to like who we think looks the best or who we think could be the best based on their past performances. I really do think it's going to come down to how do these actors uh, work together in the casting room? You know, like I think the decision is going to be made primarily on, you know, which set of cast has the best characters. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there are multiple final options for each character and it's going to come down to how they talk to each other on testing screen. I love that. Yeah, chemistry tests are going to be massive for this movie. And if we can take anything away from MCU panels at Comic-Con, D23, they always do find a way to get their ensemble to be genuinely friends offset. And I would be shocked if it's anything but for Fantastic Four. We have another question from uh, Sarah Malikian, longtime listener. Thank you so much for sending this in, Sarah. Uh, She says, Matt and Liam knock it out of the park every single week with detailed, thought-provoking content that will appeal to all nerds of the world. Well, thank you so much for that compliment, Sarah. Here's my question. If you could cast any three professional wrestlers in an MCU role, who would they be and for what role? Thanks, guys. Keep on crushing it. Matt, I'll kick this one off because I have one that just jumped off my brain as soon as I saw this question. Roman Reigns as Craven the Hunter. I know Craven the Hunter has already been cast uh, as Aaron Taylor Johnson, but if anyone knows who Roman Reigns is, he's basically pro wrestling Jason Momoa. He has almost the exact same look, and man, would he be an incredible Craven, especially this current character he's working in WWE. He's this not necessarily soft soft spoken, but calmly cocky head of the table he calls himself the tribal chief like he's literally almost craven the hunter already and i think he would be amazing in a movie where he's hunting down spider-man uh head of the table is one of the coolest nicknames in all professional wrestling yep. history especially when you understand the samoan tie behind that nickname yep unbelievably dope it's it's mcafee's favorite it's my favorite um 
My only pushback on Roman Reigns, I don't watch professional wrestling currently. I see highlights on McAfee's Twitter. That's about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I very much know who Roman Reigns is. I very much know his entire story. Can he act? Like, I, I, I know he was in uh, Chobs and Hall. Didn't say a single word in that movie. Um, the, the only reason I asked that is because, at least in my head, I read Craven's Last Hunt on my uh, flight to my honeymoon. Excellent book. You should read it for sure. But, um, you know, that's a you gotta act your ass off to be craven like you know you, like it's not a soft-spoken thing at least in my head i'm sure there's a way you can go where it is more soft-spoken but it's very much like hey look at me i'm the you know the foreign south african hunter guy mm. and um i i i he looks the part 10 times to sunday but i i'm curious can he act do you know that in a WWE ring, he can act in a pro wrestling sure. context, but I don't know if he's at movie star quality yet. And it took The Rock, people people forget, but before The Rock Long became time. an A-lister, those direct-to-DVD movies were kind of rough. And now he's got some chops. John Cena still kind of figuring it out, in my opinion. He's really good in the roles that they place him in. But yeah. as a leading man, I think he's still getting there. Roman, I think it would take a couple movies under his belt before he was ready for a Craven the Hunter. Sure. But from look alone come on oh yeah no he absolutely crushes it from an aesthetic standpoint it's the perfect pick really like if it's not momoa it's uh roman reigns which i completely agree with um have you ever seen doom doom uh the rock 2007 yeah doom patrol (laughs) doom it's awful wait like the dc show no 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 not not doom patrol but it's a movie called doom it's the rock fighting aliens with friend of the show uh uh d bureau abra from loki black loki um uh he's in it and it's one of the worst movies of all time but it's like so bad it's like really funny you know sure it's news to me (laughs) talk about the rock straight to dvd movies that's one of them um so uh i'm gonna go to john cena here and you know chalk pick don't care so um the thing that happens with uh professional wrestlers in acting there's really you know, Paul White's been in some stuff, uh, you know, uh, you know, there's been some uh, professional wrestlers get roles in movies, but really it's The Rock, it's John Cena, it's, um, I'm blanking, uh, Batista. Batista, right? yeah. He's the best yeah, actor kind of, of the three, too. Do you think so? A hundred percent. only seen him in Guardians. Uh, well, and uh, and James Bond, Bond, Dune, um, <laughs> yeah. Blade Runner. He does Oscar there you go. Yeah. movies. Haven't seen Blade Runner, haven't seen Dune. But I, 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 I believe you when you say that. And I think, you know, like you were saying, it takes it might take Roman Reigns a couple movies. They played to Batista's strengths in Guardians in such a big way. That deadpan humor that nobody knew Batista had. Um, but James Gunn found that and really played to it in a really awesome way. Double down on it in Guardians 2 where it was just joke, 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 joke. But I think that worked in that movie. Um, the same thing with Cena. Early roles, they played to his comedy chops. He's been funny since day one. Ruthless aggression. Rapping on screen. All that different stuff, right? Um, after the Suicide Squad, after seeing him play Peacemaker, I could not be more confident that Cena has chops that nobody has tapped into yet you know the range he had in the suicide squad is legit you know i think he's easily one of the funniest characters in that movie but near the end when the heel turn comes and the emotion comes through that final fight with rick flag like that's real stuff and i think that that physical acting from him is a really awesome thing and i can't wait to see peacemaker because of it if you put him as the thing in the fantastic four give him a john watts script and a john watts 
uh, not John Watts script, but give him a John Watts direction with a really good script. I think you can really pull something awesome out of there. And I think that, you know, the comedy is always going to be there and then he'll surprise you with the emotional depth of Ben Grimm. So that's going to be my pick as John Cena as Ben Grimm. Sure thing. I love it. I think it's a great selection. I, I think that having him uh, play, you know, both DC and Marvel at the same time would be very fun. And I'm sure a James Gunn would put in a really good word for him if he were to be interested in a Fantastic Four. I'll round this out. Sarah asked for three. Here's the third. Very specific, very niche. Uh, not exactly the eye-popping name that Roman Reigns or John Cena is. Pete Dunn, NXT, former NXT UK champion as Wolverine. He's small. He's a big dude. He's British. That's, that's where we run into a little bit of an issue. I know Hugh Jackman was Australian and he pulled it off. Uh, I don't, Pete Dunne's got a very thick brogue though. So I don't know if he could necessarily pull off an American accent and he's got kind of long brown hair. I don't know how it would look black and winged up, but man, does he have the mean mug that Wolverine needs. And if you're going to take Wolverine, Logan in a new spin for the MCU and you know, how are you going to do something that's fresh from Hugh Jackman's basically perfect portrayal, make him more comic accurate, make him short, make him more scrappy, maybe even give him the mask and the uh, costume he wears in the comics. I think Pete Dunne could be fun. Can he act? Jury's still out. He's not been in any feature films and he's still fairly young in the pro wrestling scene, but I think he would be a pretty fun Wolverine. Yeah, he's one of McAfee's guys, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, they tagged together. From the NXT days, yeah. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I think I, I don't know anything about the guy, again, other than McAfee shit, but um, the look is, again, there, 10 ways to Sunday. Like, you, you're crushing the aesthetic. Um, uh, I think it, I couldn't agree more. I've said this over and over, but, you know, how do we make a Wolverine that people won't automatically relate to Hugh Jackman? Make him comic accurate, because people don't know Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, at least from a look anti-comic accurate the opposite of comic accurate so um i'm excited for whatever they do and pete dunn definitely has the look so uh, that was fun that was fun going through the stables a little bit yeah and there's so many more names i probably could have th- uh, thought of if i put more brain power into it but before we do any more fan castings in future weeks before we get into anything else in this show as i mentioned boba fett review mcu ranking mm-hmm. segment and a wish list we have to kick things off with the top news of the week you know it you love it it's the sizzle reel. Bum, 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 bum. The spirit of vengeance is back in the news cycle. Get it? Cycle? Like a motorcycle? Inside Charles, Insider Charles Murphy fueled speculation that Marvel Studios is meeting with an actor for the role of Ghost Rider. Get it? Fueled? Motorcycle? Gas? Ha. What a bloody, bloody news segment we have here. <laughs> Absolutely. And some news that shouldn't even be surprising at this point. Marvel Studios reportedly has 21 total unannounced projects in the works, and that's just counting the ones insiders know about. Buckle up. It's going to be a fun decade. I smell a feature in our future. And some Eternals news director Chloe Zhao revealed the film almost had a much bleaker ending. Early drafts had Eternals final shot, bringing everyone back on the ship. Minds erased and heading off to another planet. Ooh, switching over to the blue (laughs) brand. Oh boy. Warner Brothers dropped a surprise trailer for the Batman and it is incredible. Paul Dano's Riddler and Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman get major spotlight as we enter the fast lane to Gotham City this March. 
And finally, in a return to a galaxy far, far away, the Book of Boba Fett is here. The direct podcast returns to Tatooine later in the show with a full review on everything that went down in the highly anticipated premiere. And for more information on everything you need to know about the universes you love, check out thedirect.com. In the back. In the back. One more time. Thedirect.com. Matt, switching it up this week. We usually kick things off with Marvel news, but oh boy, how can we not talk about that Batman trailer? In a world where most trailers are not only announced ahead of time, but they get a teaser trailer for the trailer and the trailer drops at this time Eastern and come to Los Angeles for our trailer screening and whatnot. Warner Brothers just said, ah, oh, here you go. New Batman yeah. trailer. Oh, by the way, it kicks ass. <laughs> it's arguably the best trailer they've dropped so far. Maybe two to that first DC fandom trailer, in my opinion. But man, is this movie's marketing material just hitting it out of the park initial reactions before we go into this trailer breakdown what did you think about the new look at robert pattinson's batman i love this show we're gonna spend a lot of time here we got a star wars review later we have two marvel segments so um it's gonna be really fun actually one marvel segment whatever this trailer kicked ass um definitely showed a lot more of the dynamics between the characters which is something i was concerned it's not the right word but we hadn't seen that yet we really hadn't seen how this Bruce Wayne, how this Batman was going to talk to people. And, you know, I, I think that it's a meme at this point, but you know, where's Rachel? You know, that was a little too much. And maybe Michael Keaton whisper talking is a little too little. I think uh, Robert Pattinson found a good balance here. That's something that I think is going to be um, good for fans throughout the movie. It's not going to be distracting. Um, I thought this, this um, trailer was intense. I thought it was funny at moments. And I think that it's got me more excited for this cast of characters than ever before. It didn't have that shot from the first trailer that broke the internet with the, you know, the walking toward the flaming car, but it's upside down. You know, the coolest shot in trailer history. It didn't have that, but I think I like it more because this is like almost like a sizzle reel, um, if, if you could say that, of the characters in this movie, which is super exciting. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I thought this trailer did exactly what it needed to do, which I didn't realize this has, this Batman marketing campaign has been missing, which is spotlight the characters and their dynamics. And Batman and Catwoman is a fabled pairing throughout comics and throughout movies as well. And I thought Kravitz and Pattinson bring something very new to the table, which I'm a very big fan of. Matt, to break down this trailer, I figured we'd resurrect a, a little segment that we haven't oh. done in way too long and that is OG's oh, remember lines, lines that, that matter. matter here we go we're back we apologize we did not do this at all for Hawkeye I think the last time we did it was Loki because we we don't really do it for movies because movies have a start and an end it's not a week-to-week thing the lines that matter they're back for a Batman trailer and that's because this trailer is chock full of narration and dialogue that is just getting me salivating for this movie Matt I want to go to you first what is a line that matters you have from this trailer um I'm trying to remember it um I had it written down and I lost it it's uh what Catwoman says to Batman uh let's get into some trouble oh oh all right visions let's get into some trouble yep come on dude like that's as cool as it gets like come on like catwoman calling batman vengeance and a joking almost making fun of him way so awesome so insane very excited that was that was a line that hooked me on that duo 
and the levity that can come from this movie that seems dark and tense and gritty. I think that that type of chemistry, that type of charisma throughout the movie is going to be hyper important as far as just watchability, which is going to be really cool. Very big fan of that line. Very anticipated for that dynamic. I'm going to go to one from my most anticipated character, not just from an acting standpoint, but just from a comic standpoint. The Riddler is getting a terrifying adaptation finally in live action. I thought Jim Carrey when I was a kid, and maybe it worked, but it was it was campy. It was silly. It was he's wearing spandex and he's got the orange dyed hair and whatnot. Paul Dano is straight up the Zodiac killer. It is terrifying. And he seems to be on somewhat of a crusade himself. He says narration over this trailer. I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this, too. If that doesn't scream Court of Owls, I don't know what does. And man, am I shaking with excitement at that possibility. Riddler being an antagonist in the best sense possible, that being an antagonist that sees his mission as just and right, I think is awesome. But just and right in a different scenario. Thanos thought he was, you know, this savior and everything, but objectively he's a genocidal maniac on paper, at least. With the Riddler in this situation, he might actually have a good motivation that he's just executing wrong. And to see him kind of not necessarily corrupt Batman's mind, but enlighten him in a sense that like there's something deeper going on here that we should not necessarily work together, but you should hear me out is so intriguing as a viewer. It's Detective Batman meets Zodiac Riddler, and I think it's going to just mix for an epic movie. Yeah, and and I think that um, you know, those those riddles throughout the movie are going to be really fun to follow along with. You know, I don't know how many we'll get. I can't imagine we get more than a couple, maybe like three. Like, do you think we'll get what's black and blue and dead all over? Like, like, you know, that's the signature riddler riddle. But like, you know, I think that that we're gonna have a lot of fun in the first half of this movie with the riddles, and then I think once it all comes to a head, like you said it's going to shoot in our face that maybe the Riddler's not the bad guy here. Maybe it's something more than that. Um, Court of Owls in this style of movie with the Riddler kind of introducing that fact, I think is a really awesome thing because this it's, it's, it's weird to put it like this because it's so not, but it's got a James Bond vibe to it, right? You know, there's a, sure. there's a bigger faction behind what's going on here, but I think it has a twist with Batman. It's a classic Batman twist. It's not morally black and white. You know, there, there's ethics to it that are more blurred than not. And Batman's going to have to choose between what he's known his whole life and what he's learning from this suicidal, uh, not suicidal, this genocidal maniac. <laughs> um, so it's going to be really awesome to see him toy with that in a, what I assume is going to be a very angry way. Absolutely. You have one more line that matters because I know we had the one overlap and I think it directly ties into what Riddler is saying here. Yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, you lied to me, Alfred. You know, I think, I think that that's, um, I, I'm sorry, I stole yours, but like, well, we had the um, same one. Yeah. There you go. It, I think <laughs> that's, that's your court of owls thing. Alfred knows something that Batman doesn't know. And that's the kind of situation we really haven't gotten in live action. You know what I mean? Like we haven't gotten an Alfred that um, really plays a part of the plot. You know, he's more of a character development piece in the Nolan trilogy in a, the best way possible. You know, what's the use of doing 500 pushups today if you can't let the bloody lock, you know, that's good shit. 
Um, but you know, he's never been a part of the plot per se in a, in a bigger way. And I'm excited to see that dynamic go down. You think uh, Thomas and Martha were up to no good, up to some shady dealings before they got 100%. killed? I think a hundred percent. I think that, I think that this is going to be a trilogy. It, it's, I hate assuming that something's going to be a trilogy, but it probably is right. Um, this is going to be a trilogy that really toys with the idea of uh, Gotham and the Waynes and, you know, like we, you know, what we think of, you know, the Wayne foundation and the Wayne company and uh, all those different things, because we're going to learn more about his family than we ever have before. And I think that's going to be really interesting. And, you know, at, on the surface, pulling away from Bruce Wayne, pulling away from Batman doesn't seem like something I would, you know, prefer in this type of movie, but man, we've gotten a lot of that. Right. You know, I think, I think taking a deeper level and oddly enough, using Bruce Wayne, using Batman as a tool to learn more about Gotham, the Waynes and possibly the court of owls. I think that's a really interesting thing to do using your main character as a device to learn more about things, as opposed to, um, for example, like in Spider-Man, Ned is us in the audience, and that's who we relate to as we follow along. Maybe that's going to be Bruce Wayne here, which is really cool. Yeah, integrating the parents into uh, the storyline through flashbacks and learning new information. You know, it always makes for a more intriguing narrative. I non-sarcastically shout out The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I thought on the surface uh, it was a cool idea, but I thought it was executed a little bit poorly. Here's hoping the Batman, if they do go that route, uh, will execute it to our satisfaction. One last news topic real quick, Ghost Rider. He's been in the news. Pretty big deal, honestly, because of everything we seem to be getting with Midnight Suns, at least seeds being planted so far. Uh, both Gabriel Luna, who played Robbie Reyes, the Robbie Reyes version of Ghost Rider in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Norman Reedus uh, shared fan art of them in the role on social media. As I mentioned, Luna previously played the Robbie Reyes iteration in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he was supposed to get a spinoff series on Hulu, which was greenlit, but ultimately it never saw the light of day. Matt, I'll go to you first. Who do you want to see in the role? I, I mentioned Gabriel Luna, Norman Reedus, obviously semi-campaigning himself for Johnny Blaze. Keanu Reeves has always been linked to this project in some capacity. Or are there any other names? Is there a world you kind of see where we could get multiple Ghost Riders at once? I think, you know, I think when I look at this, when I look at Ghost Rider and just kind of look at how the MCU has introduced new characters so far in Phase 4, I look at Dane Whitman. I look at um, Dame Whitman as the Dark Knight. I look at Oscar Isaac as Moon Knight. I look at Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. And I look at Mahershal Ali as Blade. Those are all uh, uh, Midnight Suns candidates and roster fillers there. I think you need to bring somebody in at that level of actor. Like, those are four huge name actors. Kid yeah. Harrington is probably the lowest on that list as far as, like, A-listness. And, you know, he's the face of Game of Thrones. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean that's, that's hard to beat, and he gets beat three times over by the cast that they already have in place. I think Norman Reedus would be just an incredible pick here just because, you know, we all know him as essentially Ghost Rider in Walking Dead, like, you know, the motorcycle tough guy thing. But um, I think that he would be an amazing pick. But, you know, I call it chalk. I don't care. I think Keanu Reeves would be a pop. Here. And I think it would really drive Ghost Rider as a leading character in the MCU, which is something nobody has ever expected from this character. But hey, we never expected that from Moon Knight either. And they got Oscar Isaac to do a show. That's not nothing, guys. Like Mahershala Ali is playing Blade. 
that's not nothing guys. So I think that, I think they are investing a lot of name capital into um, the midnight suns thing. I think if they want to keep that up, they go Keanu Reeves. If they want to dial it back a little bit and bring in a, uh, you know, a fan favorite, you know, almost like a, um, what's it called? Like a cult following fan favorite. It'd be Norman Reedus. And I think that they can't go wrong with either one of those. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that the options on the table are fantastic. I'm going to personally go with Keanu here. I think it's overdue that he shows up in the MCU before he gets too old. Not saying that he's slowing down anytime soon, but you probably want a Ghost Rider to appear in a couple projects. So here's hoping for Keanu personally, but I'm sure there's other names out there as well that would get just as big of a pop if they were cast. Uh, One more question regarding this. Where do you think Ghost Rider fits into future MCU plans? Solo movie, Disney Plus series, team-up appearance? Where do you think he fits in? Really interesting because, like, you know, Moon Knight is somebody, if you just told me the character, I would say, yeah, Disney Plus series is perfect for it, all that stuff. Oscar Isaac's Moon Knight, I would even assume that was a movie, you know? So yeah. it, it it's, it's really interesting how they're handling that. Blade's getting a movie, but Moon Knight's getting a series. And it's going to be really interesting how they navigate who gets what. But again, just to throw the book out the window, Shang-Chi got a movie. Eternals got a movie, but Hawkeye got a show. You know, it's it's going to be really interesting how they navigate that. I would say a series is the way to go just with the quality of Disney Plus so far. Um, you know, tonally, keeping up a Ghost Rider story for six episodes would be a feat, I think, for sure, because it doesn't have as much lightheartedness to it that I think you know, the shows we've gotten so far have the levity that it makes it a little more watchable. But then again, I think, I think we'll know a lot more about what's going to happen with this corner of the MCU after Moon Knight. Absolutely. I think a series would be really fun. And if anyone thinks that Disney plus can't necessarily do six episodes of a pretty dark and gritty tale, I hear that, but I also point to Daredevil was 13 episodes on Netflix, obviously two very different studios and execution, Mm -hmm. But I think that there's there's a chance uh, it could be a nice change of pace uh, for the House of Mouse where everything seems to be kind of happy. Let's get some dark and gritty stuff over on Disney+. Plus. And I think we're going to start with Moon Knight yeah. fairly soon. Another series, though, that's coming out on Disney+. Plus As the train just keeps moving along, Hawkeye has wrapped and we're going back to the galaxy far, far away. The Book of Boba Fett, the highly anticipated solo project for one of the galaxy's most infamous bounty hunters, has arrived. Our review for Boba Fett's first episode, first chapter on the other side. The book of Boba Fett has arrived. Our nearly over a year, actually, absence from the galaxy far, far away. The drought has ended. We are back. Boba Fett Disney Plus has premiered. I believe it's only six episodes of a season, which is kind of crazy considering we're so used to eight chapters in Mandalorian seasons, but still this promises to be a show unlike anything we've seen before in the Star Wars universe. Matt, I'll go to you first. What were your overall thoughts on Boba Fett's first chapter? Um, I want to start off for any new listeners who don't know, me and Liam are not Star Wars animated guys. We haven't seen it. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, and it's just something that we haven't done yet. So, um, you know, before you start yelling at us for, you know, not acknowledging the animated stuff as much as maybe we should know that we know that. And also we're going to have guests on throughout this season that are going to help us navigate that, you know, shout out Jack Pews, shout out, uh, Thomas, uh, Carter Rochester. I'm sure is going to get in here 
and school us up on some shit. Um, uh, so just know we're not omitting the animated <laughs> stuff. We're just not speaking on something <laughs> that, uh, we, bless you, that we don't know about. And we'll bring in people that do to help balance that out. But for right now, Book of Boba Fett, chapter one, overall thoughts. Um, I really enjoy what they did here. I really think that what they what they accomplished um, here isn't what I expected, but I like what we got. We talk, we've had seven Disney Plus shows, um, seven seasons of Disney Plus content um, in live action, and we reviewed six of those seven. So I think that we have a good understanding of what a first episode can teach us about what this show is going to be. Um, I'm not saying that they're formulaic. I'm not saying that they all follow the same pattern, but I do think that you can kind of set your expectations based on episode one in a really uh, awesome way that helps you enjoy the experience. We talk about tone setting a lot when we talk about movies and TV shows in the comic book space. Um, and, you know, when you hear tone setter or sets the tone, you think, you know, big action, you know, a big punch in the first round to really set the tone and get the vibe going. I think that this episode set the tone in a different way. I think that this episode really took a step back and brought the audience in to just remind them this is a very small scale Mando type story. Mando isn't this big, amazing, you know, cinematic experience every single week. There's a lot of uh, more grounded, slower episodes that are based around the characters, which I think this episode does again. Um, I really like Boba Fett. I really like Fennec Shan. But more importantly, I really like Tatooine as a character. I think that Tatooine is a location we've been to for 40 years and, and Boba Fett is a character we've had around for 40 years. And I think that embracing not only the Boba Fett character's history here, but also the Tatooine-ness of everything. Tatooine being a character throughout the series is what I'm most excited about. And I think they highlighted that in a really awesome way in this first episode. Yeah, I'm there with you. I echo a lot of what you said. This episode didn't wow me by any means, but it did pique my interest, which is a lot you can ask for for a Boba Fett show that honestly, I, I feel like flew under a lot of people's radars. I, I didn't wake up this morning as jazzed to enter this universe as I have for past projects. I don't know whether that's an oversaturation of just so many Disney Plus shows, or I don't know if that's not a lot of hype behind this marketing campaign. And I do think it is a little bit of both. Honestly, they've held back a lot of stuff, which I'm willing to bet is deliberate at the end of the day. But this show, this episode at least, did put together some seeds that I think are going to be patiently sprouted over the next six or seven weeks. And I'm a fan of that because there's so much that they're going for in this show. And a lot of the tone feels like a mob movie and mob movies are typically slow burns. They can't throw everything at us in episode one and get us jazzed up. I remember seeing some chatter on Twitter, but people speculating, oh, if they're holding back so much on the marketing campaign, is episode one, chapter one, going to end with as big of a reveal as baby Yoda, Grogu showing up at the end of chapter one of Mandalorian? I never put my expectations there because I, I you know, had my expectations at a very moderate level for this show. And when that didn't happen, when we didn't get a massive reveal in this episode, I wasn't per se let down because I was looking at it through the lens of this is going to be a very slow burn, patiently told story. And I don't want to judge the series as a whole before we get the series as a whole. That said, I feel like we got to talk specifics now. It's back one more time for 2021. 
Spoilers. 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 Okay. There's honestly not a ton to spoil with this episode. Honestly, they set up some stuff, but nothing that really jumped off the screen that was like, I need to be careful with what I tweet on Twitter because I don't want to ruin anyone's experience. The biggest thing from this episode that I think uh, a lot of people are going to take away is the balance between current day stuff and flashbacks. Star Wars is not known to do flashbacks. It really only started in the sequel trilogy. And even in that, it was kind of flashbacks mixed with dream sequences, right? This show is using flashbacks as a narrative storytelling uh, technique. And I think it's working really well for it. Matt, I'll go to you first. What do you think about the flashbacks being such a prominent player in the Boba Fett series? I, it was refreshing to me. It's something that I really enjoyed more and more as this episode went on. Um, I mentioned earlier, I'm watching Dope Sick right now on Hulu, and that has a lot of jumping around, and they use numbers on the screen to tell you where you are, but it's all over the place. This, I think, was done really well just in the sense of, you know, what the guy looks like. <laughs> you know, like, he looks one way when he's, uh, you know, in a flashback. He looks a different way when he's current. Um, I think that the flashbacks did a really good range of answering questions. It answered questions I had and it answered questions that I didn't know I had. Um, I mean, first and foremost, starting with uh, the, the attack of the clones clip, you know, holding his uh, father's helmet, like, you know, for a movie that's so widely panned, they really found an emotional core in that scene and really put it in a really awesome light here, which is really cool. And that really brought me into this character. Hey, this is a guy who's been here for 40 years, not just in movies, in canon for 40 years he's been through some shit and i think uh putting that touchstone in there was really cool and then also the one we've all wanted to know since day one you know how did how did he get out of the starlight pit they showed that and i thought it was intense i thought it was you know gruesome um i think showing the other stormtrooper in his stomach the snarlax stomach was brutal because we gotta remember that's a clone that's his clone brother you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what's up. Well, no, stormtroopers are legit. Clone troopers are different. Oh, you see, this is that knowledge. I don't know. You see, this is, this is where I'm all over the place. I thought all stormtroopers were Jenga fed. No, the, the, the stormtroopers are the, the recruits, the fins of the world. Even the clone troopers, the ones from the prequels are all clones. The ones with the helmets that look like Boba Fett almost. See, I was under the understanding, and you know, this is getting in the weeds, but I was under the understanding that after the events of the original trilogy, that's what prompted them to stop using clones and start using genetically modified uh, soldiers, which, God, sequel trilogy had a lot of that. <laughs> um, um, I love that. But I thought that uh, another, another story for another time. This is something sure. I think we should look up because I, I thought that it was all clones until after Return of the Jedi. And then the sequel trilogy introduced the idea of not clones. But regardless, I think showing the other stormtrooper in there was a really intense thing because it shows how much tougher Boba Fett is. So that was the question we all wanted. And then um, by the end of the flashbacks, after his whole journey with the Tusken Raiders, you know, he gains the respect of that group, you know, by killing the the Manitar, <laughs> alien space Manitar Tatooine sand monster. Um I think that that was a really awesome way to show how he ended up in Tuscan Raider gear in Mando season two. I think that's a really awesome way to, you know, show us, you know, show us without showing us how he got to where he was when we saw him last. 
And that was a really cool thing because I think it's more likely than not. And I think it's going to be a huge miss if they don't do this. I think later in the show, Boba Fett's going to have his back against the wall and who's going to come to his rescue, but his friends, the Tuscan Raiders who he gained the respect of obviously. And I think that it's really awesome that they show him as prisoner and then he wins their favor in a very gruesome, you know, mob type way. This is some mob shit. And I really dug it. Yeah. I like that. Uh, on a, on a quick Google search, it says that uh, stormtroopers aren't clones of Django Fett, but then others say some are clones, but not of, all Django Fett's DNA. It, it's all messy. It's all gray. Yell at us on Twitter. Yell at us on Twitter. That's that's all I'll say. Yeah, Jack Jack will will clear the waters for us. Um, but yeah, I completely agree with with everything you're saying with the flashbacks. One layer that I'll add was this really built up my sympathy for Boba Fett. Um, showing not telling is massive when it comes to storytelling. And going into this show, why is this dude so vengeful? Why is he taking the throne? And why does he want so much power besides the fact that everyone wants power? To see the shit he went through, to see him jogging along as he's being pulled by the Tusken Raiders and then his legs giving out and him just getting dragged. Man, it was heartbreaking to see because he never lets it get to him because he is, obviously his emotions are not all there, but as as a as a bounty hunter i feel like he's just like well this is what life is right now just got to get through it you know can't can't let it eat me away too much and it's impacted him too the the nightmare aspect of these being flashbacks but flashbacks that aren't just being shown to us as a viewer flashbacks that are being shown through his dreams and it haunts him his past haunts him and i i was a big fan of of the way they executed that i think that moving forward we're going to get more flashbacks that really emphasize uh, Boba Fett's psyche. And I think that's a great thing. The current narrative that we're getting played out in present time, Boba is just kind of sitting on the throne, Lord Fett, as he's referred to by Fennec Shand, which I thought was dope. Pretty cool. (laughs) Everyone coming in, offering their, their gifts and whatnot. And then one guy comes in and says, you know, he just offers the, the, the great, great compliments of the mayor or whatnot. And he's like, well, where's the physical thing? Nothing being offered. In fact, he asks for something in return. Matt, what do you think about this subtle, you know, seed being planted of this mayor figure? And how do you think he or she will uh, work their way into Boba Fett's life? I think it's a really awesome way to, like I said, make Tatooine a character. And, you know, they do that in so many different ways here in this show, in this episode. Um, you know, all the different factions of Tatooine immediately, you know, have a new leader in Boba Fett. And, you know, we get to see how those politics, we get to see how those dynamics flush out. You know, some something that mob movies do that I think is really awesome that I think they're adapting here in Star Wars is every exchange you have with someone is more than what meets the eye. You know, you need to be careful about what you say to who you say and how you say it at all times. And if somebody says something to you, you need to analyze that and make sure that you're not missing something on your front doorstep that might slap you in the face when you open the door. Like that guy, the guy who came in and says, I hope you're here for a long time. And then Boba comes back and is like, you know, even a compliment from those people feels like a threat. Like that mm-hmm. kind of that kind of dialogue chess um, between characters in this sh- in this first episode, I thought was really awesome. Even when he's talking to the leader of the uh, not leader, wow, the 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 club owner, the 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 lady, the the hot chick with the the the, the, <laughs> the chick the with things. the antennas. Yes, the girl <laughs> with the antenna. <laughs> Drax, Groot, Nebula, 
the girl with the antenna. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, no, but like, like even talking to her, like that felt, you know, it was flirty, but it was also kind of like, okay, who's, who's getting the upper hand on who and who's going to shark who here. And I think this mayor character being this behind the curtain type situation, it's just something they're putting in their back pocket to spring on us in the middle of the season to raise the stakes even higher um you know than than what it already is when you're getting attacked on the street how much higher can the stakes get risen what if there's a political attack in the street as well and maybe that's what's going down here's a question for you as, as you just eloquently put answered my first question i have a follow-up question uh with other disney plus shows we've seen it before with even mandalorian season one we saw it in loki we saw it in hawkeye there's always this big boss character that they're building to moff gideon kang kingpin all three of those have in common that they first show up in either the penultimate or final episode and it's this big thing but it feels like that's not where they end right you know they go on to bigger and better things we already saw that executed with moff gideon being a much bigger presence throughout season two of the mandalorian do you think this mayor character follows the same suit in that he or she becomes a big season finale reveal that gets carried out in a future season or do you i mean i kind of see boba fett as more of a limited series so do you think that this mayor character is more of a mid-season reveal that gets confronted and resolved before this season ends i'm i think it's still a little too early to tell for me personally um i need to go back and kind of listen to that dialogue a little bit the actor they brought in to um you know give that fake tribute i think uh he did really well in just being this punch him in his face exactly pissed. right yeah. you want to slap him across the face but he wasn't doing anything wrong he was just being a nice guy he has the same antenna as the girl who owned the club are we missing that she might be the mayor i'm really not sure but um you know because they had the same antenna and the same headdress situation i'll look it up while you um come back and talk about him as well but i think that something that's likely here maybe another option we didn't consider was maybe this mayor character is somebody we already know. Like I said, Tatooine's been a character in Star Wars for 40 years, and I love referring to locations as characters. Um, and I think that adding elements like that brings a lot of weight to that. But, you know, what if this is somebody we already know? What if this is, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody from the prequel trilogy? You know, uh, the first, uh, episode one spent on Tatooine, a lot of it. We met a lot of people there. Maybe it's somebody there. Maybe it's somebody related to Obi-Wan. Maybe it's somebody related to the pod racing game. You know, like there's a lot of different options here. And I think that, I think that they can surprise us with this, but I'm, I'm not sure if this one-off mention of the mayor warrants that, you know, a Moff Gideon type reveal, but it's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I'm there with you. I just, I, I also just find it funny, a little off track that, uh, you know, with, with our Marvel reviews, we're like, well, based on this line of dialogue and this run of this comic and the way that these two characters interacted in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, it seems like this is where we're going. And then in Star Wars, we're like, well, they have the same antenna. So yeah. <laughs> you got to imagine. <laughs> what you got to do. So I, think, do I think it makes for uh, a unique viewing experience because we're like most people when it comes to Star Wars. Like we're both I think it's fair to say diehard fans, but we're not going to necessarily pick up on all the nuances that they're going for right away, which I think leads for a lot of big surprises going on with this series. And I'm with you. I think that the mayor, I think that line was pretty deliberate. I think it's going to be a pretty big reveal. And I see it coming more of a mid-season thing than a, a seed being planted for a future 
season or series because I don't see Boba Fett getting a season two. The book of Boba Fett, the way that they're presenting this is very much like a book in terms of it's not just the current day narrative and what's going on from now into the future. It's detailing the past 40 years of his life. Well, not 40 years in canon, but 40 years of absence of, of storytelling we never got to see filled in. And I, I think that this will be a kind of bookended series uh, from start to finish in terms of filling in what we missed out on and where we're going forward. Uh, Matt, you put in here lines that matter. matter. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Lines That Matter, the podcast within a podcast here on the Direct Podcast. We break down lines of dialogue that me and Liam consider important for you need to know for the book of Boba Fett. Liam, take it away. What is a line that matters to you? Well, the reason why I, I so casually introduced it <laughs> is because no, no, no lines really jumped out at me as yeah. like, oh my God, I need to keep my eye on that, except for the mayor line. The mayor line, I feel like was one that very much so was like eyes on the prize. Where are we going with this? Why this guy is so confident when he knows Boba Fett could blast him at any time, but he just knows the powers that be that right. are behind him. And he knows that if he dies, it's going to mean havoc for the person that killed him. So that whole line, plus the delivery of it, I think is something that we have to keep just laser focused on. I couldn't agree more. I feel like there was really two scenes in this show that gave us plot. You know, this was a lot of catching up with Boba Fett. This was a lot of establishing what's going on with him right now. But as far as plot, we got the mayor thing. And then we got my line that matters, which isn't a line at all. That tag um, when in the flashback, when uh, Boba Fett's getting dragged around by the Tuscan Raiders, they show up to this house that really looks like uh, Uncle Ben's house. Um, Uncle Owen. <laughs> Uncle Owen. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Um, uh, Uncle Owen's house. You know, I, I was like, no way. Then I started thinking of the timeline. I'm like, are we about to see Uncle Owen right now? Like, like is that really about to happen? But it didn't happen because you know, he's already dead. <laughs> um, already burnt to a crisp. But um, they put a tag on that uh, whoever was raiding that poor man's house and collecting their bounty and getting the hell out of there. Um, whoever, whatever that tag is, obviously they put a lot of focus on it. It's going to be very important. I think that could be like what you were talking about earlier with the flashbacks, why he decided to become a crime lord. Why, what's his motivation? Maybe he sees, you know, the current crime lord treating people like shit, uh, the Jabba's of the world. And then, you know, this is a motivation. I think whatever that tag is, is going to be really important. And by tag, I mean what they were spray painting on the house. Yeah, the JL. I was like, oh, my God, it's the is, Justice yeah. League, baby. The Justice <laughs> League are here. Restore the Snyderverse, but in a galaxy far, far away. They're just they've they've turned bad. Well, uh, Zack Snyder's a first a first screenshot of Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon just came out today. People need to remember Zack Snyder is making a Star Wars movie without the rights to Star Wars. That's he's gonna open. He's gonna open up, release the Snyder Star Wars universe. Like that's gonna happen in the next twelve months, I guarantee it. On Netflix, I believe, right? Yeah, and then Holly, and then Hollywood is gonna hit. Yep. And then, and then we're all gonna be very excited. And there's gonna be a lot of slow motion. We can definitely count on that. Moving forward with the book of, <laughs> moving forward with the book of Boba Fett. Uh, looking at future weeks, what are you hoping to get out of this show moving forward? Because like I said, there were no particular scenes that got me jumping out of my seat this morning. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a nice change of pace for these Disney Plus shows to kind of have uh, a slow burn moving forward. Mm -hmm. I think that 
moving into next week, I'm curious if we're going to get more flashbacks because this landed on uh, Boba Fett being a part of the Tusken Raiders. And the next time we see him in canon is showing up in Mando season two in Tusken Raider gear, swinging that Tusken Raider weapon around. So I wonder if we get any more flashbacks. I don't think we will because, you know, we kind of, we, we've answered the question. Why is he on Tatooine still? How did he survive? Why is he dressed up as a Tusken? Because he became one, essentially. He earned their trust. And um, I really cannot wait to see how that pays off. But moving forward, I want more Fennec Shand. I'll tell you that much. She's a badass. And her little parkour scene here was sick. And I thought that was really cool. Um, uh, I think that I just, I, I want more of this mob-type dialogue fighting. You know, where where it's, it's, this doesn't seem to be about Boba Fett running the Tatooine crime world. It's he wants to do it and do it right. You know, I uh, Jabba rule with fear. I want to rule with respect. I think they did a really good job putting that theme throughout this episode where it's not just I'm the crime boss. Listen to me now. It's how can I maximize this position? And he's doing that by creating relationships, building trust and knowing who not to trust. I think that's going to be really important. So moving forward, I just want more of the same, maybe just ramp it up, ramp it up 10% every episode. So by the end of Episode six, you know, we have, you know, something exciting to look forward to. And I think uh, in terms of ramping it up, I think we're going to get to see him really grow his ranks. I think that this first episode, getting those two Gamorrean guards by his side, I think every single week, a couple more will join until we get to the position where he's got a legit, not necessarily army, but he's got a following of, of loyal, loyal people that mm-hmm. will take his side in whatever conflict gets spurred with the mayor. Uh, One thing I did want to address before we wrap up this review, the action in this episode, I'll I'll point to to one kind of complaint I had overall, which is very, very nitpicky. And it makes me sound kind of pretentious, honestly, but that, that flashback, right. That where the, the monster with the, the forearms and whatnot felt very out of place to me. I that the the style the design of that monster I did not feel was Star Wars I felt the same way about um the the pink haired lady in the last Jedi I thought her aesthetic screamed Hunger Games not Star Wars to me for whatever reason and it's it's very odd too like Star Wars has such a unique and distinct aesthetic uh in terms of its characters and costumes and whatnot and so much of that is birthed from George Lucas's mind. And then moving forward, when new directors and new creators and producers come in, when you create new characters, it it can be tough to make them feel like they're actually a part of this universe that was created by one man, right? And this monster in particular, for whatever reason, I don't know if it felt more CGI than practical, and that's why it jumped out to me, but it just, it didn't feel star wars to me did did you feel at all the same way or am i just being ridiculously nitpicky i didn't notice it um you know i i like that all, everything on tatooine is based off sand <laughs> like like sure. no wonder anakin wanted to get the hell out of there it's not just the sand it's the shit living in the sand as well it's gonna get you um i i, I didn't notice any you know glaring omission as far as like you know that character doesn't belong i do think it was really a really funny beat in this episode was how you know they show him strangling the monster and taking him down and the very next cut is the small tuscan youngling carrying it above his head like hey we did it you know i love that (laughs) um 
No, but I mean, I, I personally didn't feel that, but I get it. I get what you're saying. You know, it, it, and you make a good point. Like the aesthetic of star Wars, you know, much like I've been talking about with Tatooine, it's so much a character of this show. And just being back in this episode, when people take their mask off, the little uh, air air lock release, yep. that every time someone takes their mask off, every time someone brings up a gun, little charging sound, like all the little Star Wars um, production cues, rather it be audible or visual, are so important to the watching experience because man, it makes you feel like Star Wars. And if it took and if it took you out of it, I don't think it's a nitpick because that's a part of the Star Wars experience is being captured in this galaxy. It's the same reason why I have issues with like the Sony movies being considered like MCU canon because when Kevin Feige's fingerprints aren't on it, it feels apparent. Like Morbius and the Venom movies do not feel like MCU movies for many, many reasons. And you can tell, you can feel Kevin Feige's absence. Not that he was ever intended to be involved with those, but there's a reason why tonally aesthetically style wise they feel like they belong in a different universe and star wars it's a very difficult line to ride and that's why i know george lucas was always very particular about creators he brought on to carry out his vision and moving forward there are guys that get it john favreau taika watiti robert rodriguez i thought absolutely understood the assignment in mandalorian season two this episode i think he got it for the most part but just little little character things like that It's something I'm keeping my eye out for moving forward. And honestly, all it's going to do is make me appreciate when they do nail it further, which I think is all we can really ask for. That's Book of Boba Fett. That's episode one, chapter one. We'll be back next week for chapter two as this series continues to unravel and we continue to journey into the galaxy far, far away. But until then, coming up next, I have an interview with one of the stars of The Witcher season to Lambert himself, Paul Bullion. Liam Crowley of The Direct here with the standout performer from The Witcher Season 2. You'll also recognize him from his roles in Peaky Blinders. It's the charismatic and captivating Lambert himself, Mr. Paul Bullion. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today and congrats on the tremendous success of The Witcher Season 2 so far. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you for your kind words. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started by just talking about The Witcher as a whole. I'm very glad we got to conduct this interview after the season concluded so we can kind of talk in detail. And I kind of want to start out with a bit of a broad question as a whole. What's your proudest moment from your debut season of The Witcher? Great question. Uh, proudest moment, I think, uh, I have to say, just just uh, the, the moment we wrapped on the season as a whole because... Uh, with with you know the eye of the the storm of the you know the pandemic and you know everything was put in place to make sure that we could finish the the, the series and to to get those words that you know that's a wrap was was beautiful <laughs> to be part of that and, and deliver that series is um yeah special yeah absolutely and speaking of the pandemic what were some of the obstacles you faced early in production was there anything that kind of deterred the schedule or was momentum able to keep moving uh, well, you know, it was safety first. So um, I think I just had my screen test, uh, a couple of screen tests, checking out like lens color for my for my eyes and costume and various things. Um, and they're just, I think they've done two weeks of filming um, on the first episode, I believe. And, uh, and then we had to close down. Um, uh, the producers had to get back to America. 
and it was very much sit tight we will get back and sitting tight turned into months i think it was six or seven months um and we got the green light and like a six week kind of um warning that we we're going to be going back and they had everything in place netflix had thought of everything um all the safety measures um so yeah that that was a huge delay six, six or seven months uh, we went back in the august i believe um, and then, then it was, you know, it was making sure, you know, we we um, did everything in, you know, in, in, in the safe way, which we absolutely did. And uh, hats off to Netflix for that because I felt safe, and uh, that was the the main obstacle really was getting getting through with uh, with the huge delays. But we did deliver it in the end, so happy days. <laughs> and fortunately, too, as you mentioned, beyond the health as aspect, season two didn't really feel like it was uh, impacted whatsoever by COVID from a story standpoint, because a lot of seasons of television or movies, sometimes you can kind of pick out where production woes kind of came in. So I thought that, you know, the, the production value was still very much up to par with season one uh, in season two's execution. Moving forward, though, I do kind of want to take a, a further step back to your audition process, getting prepared for this role. We know Lambert is obviously a prominent character in the books and the video games, but your portrayal is, is very different from the Lambert we've seen in past media from The Witcher. And I know you said in previous interviews, you wanted to avoid doing an impersonation. So can you kind of talk to me about how you approached playing this role, whether it be drawing inspiration from the books or the games while also making it your own? Well, first off, the the, the scripts um, gave me a lot. And my audition scene was the uh, the scene where we're kind of uh, coaxing coaxing um, uh, Freya Siri into going onto the obstacle course, um, and you could just tell that you know he's 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 pushy and and he's uh, he's quite short tempered and uh, and yeah and spiky and all these things. Um, I didn't read the books until I got the part because I didn't want to interfere with whatever I was giving them in the in the audition room. It was working because they were recalling me. So um, uh, and I had to had to kind of had to take a bit of an educated guess as to who I was auditioning for because everything was under wraps, so it was coded. So the, the scenes we got were for uh, a coded title of a show. Um, it was only because I knew the cast and director's previous work that I, I, I took a guess that it was going to be The Witcher that I'm auditioning for, and then obviously took a further educated guess it would be Lambert. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose once I once I had the offer, that's when I, I delved into the into the books and the games, and um, and I, I got a flavour of what was already out there. But I wanted to make sure that I didn't play Lambert as an an arsehole for the sake of it and uh, I made sure I, I kind of grounded it in a in a sense of insecurity and he kind of behaves like a, a a small child when he feels belittled you know so um that's what I was going for and uh, you know I hope it came across in the on the screen yeah absolutely and one of the aspects of Lambert uh that attracted me as a viewer personally was his his mindset of being kind of pro witcher and anti outsider per se and even though that that's an aspect that's seen in the books and the video games as well, I felt like your portrayal took it in a very fresh direction. And we've seen that in other media before, in other movies and such with someone like, say, Magneto in the X-Men mm -hmm. movies, who is very pro-mutant, anti-human and everything. Did you take any inspiration from other characters that have a similar mindset outside of Witcher media? Um, I, I kind of... 
uh, rooted it in in like normal human behaviour in in uh, the sense of if someone's been wronged by life, they they have uh, they have trust issues and uh, and I think Lambert doesn't trust very easily because because I don't think he chose to be a witcher. <laughs> you know he was uh, he's good at it and uh, and he loves the people around him, um, but you know it's not you know he doesn't. You know, the whole the whole destiny thing you know he can he can go and do one because he he didn't choose it so he's gone through these trials and all these really negative experiences as you know growing up and he's gone through that with the witches around him so he's very protective of them um and he's kind of like a maybe like a, vet, a veteran that's you know has come back from war and it's like i've seen some stuff <laughs> like mm. you don't know the half of it you know, so, so when Siri turns up and, you know, she says, hey, I want to be a witch, I want to do what a witcher does, he almost finds it funny. It's like, you have no idea. But then the, the, the funny thing is, like, Lambert has no idea of the sheer power that, that Siri has inside her. And I think that's, that's what's quite interesting about their relationship is I think they both, they both misread each other at the start. And then they kind of grow together as the season progresses, which I thought uh, was very well done. And it was one of the most intriguing subplots mm -hmm. of this season in particular. A big talking point a lot of fans are mentioning on socials right now is the kind of polarizing death of Eskel early on in the season. He's a very beloved character in the books and in video games as well. And uh, showrunner Lauren Schmidt-Hissrich uh, revealed that Eskel's death was actually intended for John in early uh, editions of the script. It was kind of changed later on. I just kind of want to get your reaction to that character death. Did you foresee it having such a great impact on the fan base? Or did you think that it was natural and needed to happen in order to further the narrative? I thought it was, a, it was a really interesting choice. And I support I support the writers in that choice. Um, I I. 100% knew that there'll be fans that you know wouldn't be happy about it. He's a he's a fan favorite. You know you can you can see all the fan art and the fan fiction uh, involving um, the witches, Eskel, uh, Lambert, and obviously Cohen isn't in the video games. He's very much in the books. But you know I think it, any if you took any of those three witches away, you know exclude Geralt as the, as as the lead. If you took any of those witches away, it was going to be a shock factor. Me personally, as a as a storyteller, I think if you're going to do a, a TV adaptation, I think it's good to keep the audience guessing. Even if even if you are an, uh, you know a, a witch or lore expert, or you know you you have everything on on lockdown, you know everything about about the title. I think it's great to throw a curveball and like, do you know what? You can't guess this. And, and and that's what I thought was brilliant about the decision. Um, I found out when I read the scripts at the start, and I was going through like, are they going to bring him back magically somehow? <laughs> I was like, okay. And then I was no, that was that, that was it. And I thought that was a. I thought I I think it's necessary in TV TV adaptations to uh, let the audience know that nobody can guess. And I think that's I think. Even people that are fans of Eskel, to be affected by it, whether it's in in a you know where you're filled with sadness at seeing Eskel die, or you know shock, isn't it great to watch something and be like, I did not see that coming. <laughs> like I love what as a take me away from 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 Witcher if I'm watching something else. I love it when something completely sideswipes me out of nowhere.
So I, I, I think it was a brave decision and, uh, you know, 100% back the writers in that. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely kept me on my toes as a viewer. And I think that that leads to a bit of unpredictability going forward with The Witcher, not just throughout the rest of season two, but going forward in future seasons as well. Uh, you mentioned in a past interview that there was uh, some fond memories, of course, that you shared with star Henry Cavill. You guys share a lot of screen time together throughout this season. And there was one moment in particular in a past interview where you mentioned you couldn't get into too much detail because it would give stuff away. But now that the season has come out as a whole, something involving a, a watering wheel or, or some sort of contraption that you, you had uh, an interaction with Cavill with and something that uh, took a turn for the comedic. Um, I'm just curious about that in particular or just any other fond memories you shared with uh, the star. Something about watering a watering wheel. Can't I can't remember saying anything about watering wheel. I remember <laughs> in episode I know in episode eight in the Battle of the Basilisks. Yes. Um, there were there were a lot of wind machines. And wind machines. Witches, that that was it. Okay. I, I mixed up okay. the word. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, did I have water? Um, <laughs> no. Um, uh, yeah, there were a lot of wind machines um, for the Basilisk uh, fights, obviously because. Uh, they create the atmosphere and obviously the, the portal and, and the rest of it. So uh, we are, we're having all this wind blowing in our faces as we're screaming our lines out. And the props department were actually hid under the tables and they're throwing props up to you know get caught in the wind. Um, and some of it was like paper. And, uh, and it was really hard not to laugh because we're trying to stand there all stoic and then suddenly like each actor would take it in turns and different takes because you'd end up getting a bit of paper right in your face mm -hmm. and it would always work out that it's your close-up and then there'll be a big bit of paper just across your face and then they're like cut and then we and then you know you'd get the giggles and then you'd you'd uh, reel it back in and, and and go again but I think it happened to everyone I think Henry got uh, some paper in his face I got some paper in the face uh, Yas got it like three times I think he was positioned in the worst possible place and even Kim uh, Kim took a hit from a few props as well so um, that, that was particularly funny especially in such a, a massive moment in the show to suddenly just you know have the props department kind of uh, yeah uh, attacking us all. <laughs> Absolutely well I'm glad we got to hear that story now that spoilers are, are free reign. I'm yeah, yeah. um, speaking further on Cavill a bit he's obviously been intertwined in the show's DNA since season one and he's a very accomplished actor in Hollywood from just a behind the scenes perspective, did you share any meaningful conversations uh, with Henry Cavill that you'd like to share? I, I just think he's, he's such a gentleman. Uh, he, he is very passionate about the show um, and he's very giving as an actor. So uh, he was always there for advice. He was always there to discuss details. Um, he wouldn't just like turn up and, and film. He'd be there to discuss, you know, the scenes in detail before, and he would often, you know, we would have the discussion that, you know, we were like a band of brothers and that we would behave as such. And uh, and he he created that camaraderie off the screen as well. Obviously, it was difficult with COVID. It was, it was difficult, especially we had a really lovely country pub just opposite the studios. And we couldn't go in there, obviously, because of, you know, uh, the, the, the pandemic. Um, so it's very much like being kept separate separate transport and everything um at the end of each day but um yeah that that pub was almost like teasing us <laughs> like it was closed the whole time we were filming but he would you know he would really you know go above and beyond to create 
a camaraderie that would transfer to to the screen and um yeah he just you know gave me we we, we swapped some uh, advice on working out um you know obviously he's very accomplished in his physique and uh, I'm very into my fitness as well so you know we'd, we would often discuss what our our fitness was that morning and he would do something ridiculous like get up at like 4am to do physio <laughs> like and then work out then come to set and you know it's great to be around people like that because it just rubs off on you and uh and yeah and uh he leads from the front and i think it's great to have somebody like henry that's so so passionate about the show you know leading it so um yeah it's great yeah it's wonderful to hear especially the the band of brothers aspect you mentioned because yeah. you and your fellow witchers are new characters yet you have such a lived-in history with this character mm. Geralt of Rivia and I think that it translated well on screen so uh props to Henry props to you as well uh, moving forward just looking at you as an actor as a whole uh, I want to just kind of get a sense of your 2022 plans I, I know we can't really talk specifics with certain things I'm sure yeah. but can you tease uh the fans listeners and readers of what you're gonna gonna have going on in the new year uh yeah I can say that uh around march time i'm going to be heading to uh to ireland to to film something so uh we'll see um we'll see if they can guess from what's filming in ireland what that <laughs> might be <laughs> i can't actually say at the moment what it is um yeah but in terms of like moving forward with the witcher um i'm i'm committed to the witcher um i'm there as long as they they want to use me so um that's all i can say on that uh aspect of it um but yeah you know moving forward i want to you know get get into as many kind of different genres as possible and uh and yeah and and and, and for me the witcher is is something that's a big part you know of my life now because it is such a such a huge show and to to film it through the pandemic it's always going to be a special a special part um of my life so yeah i'm committed to it and you know lambert i'm very proud of lambert and i'm proud to play him so moving forward um you know i'm of course committed to 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 playing lambert in in um whatever kind of capacity pops up yeah i love that and if you find yourself in counting cork in ireland make sure you say hello to the crowley family that's where my dad's side uh, of the family comes from so uh are you half yeah. irish yeah, and my, yeah. My, dad's, my dad's right off the boat. County Cork, I got family in oh, Galway, Kerry, everywhere. So have you, you, you've been to Ireland quite a lot? Quite yourself? a lot, yeah. Uh, seven times total. Oh, amazing. That's about the same amount of times as me, and it's just over the water. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, um, I, I, my my, my great-granddad's from Dublin. My mum, my mum's side's Irish, basically, um, with the, the maiden name of Doyle, so <laughs> you don't get more Irish than that. Yeah, um, no family in Dublin, but it's where we fly into always because uh, Shannon has been closed because of the pandemic. Um, but right. yeah, no, Dublin's fantastic. Are you going there? Are you going there anytime next year? Or we're hoping we're hoping uh, sometime in May before before the summer kind of ties me up with uh, work obligations and whatnot. But yeah, hoping to get out there, and I'm excited to see whatever you're filming out there because I, <laughs> I do know that they do actually have a fair bit of production that goes on in Ireland these days. There's Star a Wars, lot. obviously. There's a lot. On, on Skellig Michael and whatnot. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful country. It's got beautiful landscape. Um, it's really nice. And I mean, you must know from being there yourself, the Guinness does taste better in <laughs> Ireland. It does. I don't know if it's to do with the fact that it's not traveling, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real beautiful thing. I mean, it's, it's a dangerous thing for me because I love Guinness. And if I'm, <laughs> in, if, if I'm, in, if I'm in Ireland, then I'm, I'm going to have to 
have some. <laughs> it's the it's the Guinness, and then there's the one other, the local one. The I'm forgetting the name. Uh, Murphy's. Oh, Carlsberg. Carlsberg. Oh, Carlsberg. Carlsberg is actually brews near my near my hometown in in England. A town called Northampton is where they've got a big brewery, a brewery there, and I'm from a town called Newport Pagnell. Mm. Um, so it was the cheapest. It was the cheapest lager to drink, drink when you're growing up because it was literally brewed down the road. <laughs> well, I'll have I'll have to make it out there to to try it <laughs> right from the source. Paul, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat today. Congrats again on the success of The Witcher, and we're going to be keeping a lookout for your future projects. Thank you again. Thank, thank you very much, Liam. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, Liam. Excellent job by you. Make sure to check out The Witcher on Netflix. Netflix, what a great streaming service, huh? It's oh. uh, it's the one that started it all to dumb. You know what I'm saying? But there's another streaming service that has really taken over the world a little bit. It's Disney Plus. And because of Disney Plus, Marvel Studios has released nine, count them, nine projects this year. An unbelievable number, a clip hitherto undreamt of. So what me and Liam are going to do right now, ahead of our The Direct Awards bonus episodes. Hello. Little teaser right there. Be ready for that. We're going to look back at 2021 and we are going to do what the internet does best and make a list. That is right. Me and Liam will be ranking our 2021 projects in the MCU. A couple things to keep in mind. Like I said, nine projects this year. If you wanna if you wanna not count series as pro as movies, that's fine. But it's real that nine projects in one year is more. Then phase one had in all of its uh, run and phase two, both phase one and phase two were six projects a piece, nine projects in one year for phase four. The landscape is different. There's a totally different tone set. The rules are different as far as like how you look at phases. Like you can't fairly compare phase one to phase three. The number of projects alone is going to overweigh it. But what we can do is look at what 2021 has given us and dive into what our favorite things were and we're going to do that by breaking down the chunks nine projects so we're going to give our bottom three our middle three our top three and we're going to talk about projects from each liam would you like to start or do you want me to start a little live production right here Ooh, uh i can start you start i feel like we're gonna have a very similar bottom three we'll see maybe we'll see. all right uh number nine on my list of the 2022 mc releases what if number eight Black Widow, and number seven, Eternals. Uh, the one I'll talk about very briefly is Eternals. I am very disappointed. It's not in my top half. I honestly would have kind of penned it for being in my top three at the beginning of this year based on just everything that I thought we were going to get with this movie. It's not to say it's bad. I very much enjoyed it. I think it's actually a really, really great movie. But as an MCU movie, it does fall down my, my list a little bit. The story I thought was intriguing. I thought the execution could have been a little better. Didn't really care for all the, the monsters and just, uh, you know, uh, the deviants fighting them for just having a sake to fight a creature. The biggest strength of this movie, though, I will go back to it time and time again, is the score. Ram Dejawi from Game of Thrones absolutely crushed it. That Eternals theme is what I wake up to. It's epic. It's the Justice League animated series meets the Game of Thrones theme put together in one, and it is one of my favorite scores of all time, which I think is a huge compliment to this movie. Uh, I just hope that Eternals 2 can, can 
pull its way up the totem pole because I think they have a really good idea here. I think the execution just needs to be a little bit better. And you're more excited and you're excited to get more of these characters, right? You know, oh, yeah. if, if that's the bottom line of what this movie accomplished, I think it did a pretty good job. Same bottom three, a little bit of a different order. Mine is what if at number nine, Eternals at number eight and Black Widow at number seven. I'm going to talk about Black Widow because what a special movie this is, right? Mm. I don't think this movie is fair to grade um, amongst other movies because one it took two and a half years to come out <laughs> you know the you know we got our first trailer almost two years before the movie came out so it really did put a weird um, entry point to this movie um, but two it's also a tribute to a fallen character and uh, n- no other movie on this list or very few movies in the MCU or movies in general have the responsibility of paying tribute to a character we've already lost. And I think it did a really good job doing that with Natasha. What a great final project for her and Scarlett Johansson in the MCU, because, you know, it had the action, it had the comedy, it had the dialogue we all love. It has everything the MCU uh, brings to the table, but I think the circumstances around it, a lot like Captain Marvel, just makes it feel a little bit out of place. You know, this movie should have been a phase three movie. Captain Marvel should have been a phase one movie, but it just, it's just not how the chips fell. So I I'm starting to learn that um, prequel movies in the MCU, um, you know, they, they don't hit as hard because the ball of the overall narrative is moving so quickly that anytime we're asked to jump back, um, it does uh, leave a little, it's, it's a little rougher um, of a ride but i will say for all the things black widow did in tribute and looking back and all those things fan service whatever you want to call it it gave us yolanda belova who is just an all-star you know mvp of this year an mvp candidate for sure um and i think that you know as much as black widow was a natasha movie it was also a yolanda movie and i think that is such an awesome decision they keep making in the mcu is to you know make don't don't limit any ip to one character you know let a couple characters eat in the same movie and let them work together to lead quote lead a project and uh, i think yolana and natasha was a great example of that um so yeah that's that's both of our bottom threes exactly the same how about that i'm gonna move on and do mine and then we'll switch over to you that's cool go for it my six through four at number six the falcon and the winter soldier at number five, Loki. And at number four, Shang-Chi. I think a glaring um, uh, a, a project of note here for me on my list is having Loki at number five. I think that a lot of people are going to put this at number one um, as far as at least their Disney Plus projects and definitely in their top three of their 2021 projects. I have Loki at number five, not for anything Loki did wrong. Loki was an incredible show. Like unbelievable writing, unbelievable acting, unbelievable story, all those different things, right? I do think that my issue with Loki that keeps it out of a higher ranking for me is that it was more of a show about the TVA. It was more of a show about the multiverse. And it was more of a show about, you know, setting up what's coming next. And yes, there's a Loki season two coming out that could easily make this better. That's fine. But I, I think that I got a sour taste in my mouth right away when the first episode said the Infinity Stones don't matter anymore. You know, we now have something infinity times more powerful than the Infinity Stones. Like, like imagine, imagine if I told you in 2019, they're going to introduce something in the next phase that make the Infinity Stones look like paperweights. 
that's quite literally what they did. Like word for word, what they did. They turned the Infinity Stones into paperweights. That was a sour taste I got in my mouth in episode one. And I think I rode that to the end. And just the simple fact of it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we now, right into phase four, have this amazingly huge scale umbrella threat above us, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. I just think it was a little too quick as far as the overall MCU narrative. And I usually wouldn't put the overall MCU as a measuring point for a single project, but this project was about the overall MCU. You know, like that, that's what the goal of this project was, was to reshape the universe. And I think it just did that a little too soon. That's why it falls at number five, still very high on my list, but not in the top three, which a lot of people I assume will have. Yeah, I hear a lot of your your criticisms with Loki, even though I, I don't necessarily agree with them all. And what's funny is now I'll reveal my six through four. Loki comes in at number six for me, followed by Hawkeye at number five, Shang-Chi at number four. And it was a very late decision to, to switch up Hawkeye and Loki. Literally, as you were talking, I realized that I enjoyed Hawkeye consistently more. I thought Loki's finale was something incredible. And as I say all the time on this podcast, what does Vince McMahon say? They only remember the finish. You can have a crappy first two and a half hours of a pay-per-view, but if you nail that main event, then fans are going to go home happy. And I think I look back on Loki with a lot of rose-tinted glasses because the finale was so great. It also helps that it aired on my birthday, by the way. It was a nice nice little present. But uh, Hawkeye, I thought, I'll speak about Hawkeye here. Uh, I thought nailed uh, a lot more on a consistent weekly basis the big thing we always say about hawkeye on this show the the quote i'll I'll sing its praises to forever is the fact that it never tried to reinvent the wheel it just did what it was going for so perfectly it nailed the small small scale story i love street level mcu i love seeing the consequences of these world changing events and how our human lives would react to them you're damn right people would spray paint thanos was right on a urinal. You're damn right we would see Steve Rogers get a musical tribute much like Hamilton. Uh, You're damn right we would see Avengers being dressed up as in New York City, uh, in in, uh, Times Square and whatnot. I love little things like that. I love little nuances like that. What's odd though to me is Loki's finale I think is miles above Hawkeye's finale on a personal standpoint, but we're talking about projects as a whole. And early MCUs, we've always talked about how the third act sometimes seems to fall flat a little bit, yet we still love those movies and we love those shows. I think Hawkeye being a consistently better show than Loki, even if the finale was miles below uh, Tom Hiddleston's uh, finale, I think makes it just one tick above. Uh, And moving forward with Loki season two, I'm with you. I hope we get to elevate season one to a new height because of what they're able to accomplish in the sequel yeah i couldn't agree more and if if there's any trend in the mcu it's probably that i think a fun discourse would be looking at all the mcu projects how many movies have the third act as the best act Ooh, you know how often is the third act the best act because like even in like movies like winter soldier you know one of my favorite movies of all time i think third act is miles behind the first and second act like not that it's bad by any means but it's definitely not as good as the first couple acts i'm with you something there yeah um uh so that moves on to our top three quick shout out to shang chi for saving movie theaters and being one of the best origin stories in the history of comic book movies yeah (laughs) i i couldn't agree more shang chi was fantastic both of our number fours i believe 
Yes, an out of nowhere project. Absolutely out of nowhere. Um, so Liam, finish us off. What is your top three? Here we go. All right. Uh, number Here three, Spider-Man No Way Home. What? Ooh, oh, everyone's yelling at me. Uh, number two, WandaVision. Number one, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, I'll speak a little bit about both uh, Falcon Winter Soldier and WandaVision. I'll put more emphasis on, on Falcon Winter Soldier. The reason why I put those two Disney Plus shows above Spider-Man No Way Home, and a lot of people will call me crazy for that, is because with me and movies, it always comes down to two things, emotion and stakes. The stakes, I think, were much higher in Spider-Man No Way Home. Do not get me wrong. But the emotion I got out of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and WandaVision is something incredibly special that I will forever wish I could just bottle. And as, as, as Matt, you've put it before, if you could bottle the emotion we feel in these MCU movies and sell it as like ibuprofen, you'd be a gazillionaire because it's, yep. it cannot be fabricated. It's natural. You can't fake tears. I can at least not fake tears. I haven't reached uh, that standpoint where, you know, some actors can just command tears. I'm not an actor. I don't know how to do that. I'm sure friend of the show, Thomas Carter Rochester could maybe bring tears out of his eyes on command. Not me. It needs to come naturally, right? <laughs> wow. You really set the bar there. <laughs> Falcon Winter Soldier and WandaVision both evoked real emotion. Uh, yeah. Really quick on WandaVision. Uh, thanks for letting me be your mom. That's Brenda Crowley right there. That's, wow. that's my mom. Uh, that got me uh, into a puddle. Uh, so that I, I, I cannot speak to how much that moment meant to me uh, personally. But Falcon Winter Soldier, I sing its praises all the time. I genuinely think it has become a victim of its release window, right? Because the more people have it in like their bottom threes, I think you've had it very appropriately placed in the middle of the pack. And I'm not going to disagree with anyone who puts it outside of their top three but if you're talking about worse than like venom let there be carnage if you're talking about worse than what if get out of here Rewatch the show it okay. came out immediately after wandavision where we had nine weeks of non-stop epic speculation and discussion and then uh loki and hawkeye both great shows that i feel like falcon winter soldier is a step above and loki and hawkeye both had the luxury of having long breaks before we got to them they got fans excited to get back into the MCU while Falcon Winter Soldier, we stepped right in. We stepped right in immediately. The themes, the tone, the, the issues that it tackles on a conversational basis, I thought were super, super rich. And everything with Isaiah Bradley, man, I think is one of the best condensed narratives we've ever gotten in the MCU. No flashbacks necessary. All the emotion is worn on his face. And when that gets resolved in the end of him getting his statue in the Smithsonian, and seeing his reaction, even before that, seeing his reaction to Sam Wilson going against his advice, taking the mantle. Yeah, I'm a black man in the Stars and the Stripes. What about it? Seeing that on the TV, seeing how he reacts of just his shock and pride. Dude, I'm getting chills right now. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be rewatching The Falcon Winter Soldier at some point in January just because I want it on that, that big screen experience while I'm at home for a little bit uh, for this winter break from university. And I couldn't be more stoked. I'm so happy that it's genuinely my number one because like I said, I, I, I can't fake emotion. If I were to dictate my emotions, Eternals would be in my top three and it ended up as my number seven. Falcon Winter Soldier meeting and exceeding my expectations. The best Christmas present I could have asked for. Yeah, it's, um, it's so, so many amazing things done in that show. 
Um, the reason, I mean, for me personally, the reason it falls low on this list is because I do have narrative problems with it, but you know, you know, I, I don't like the villain simple as that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I think that the antagonist was the weakest of this group, but that does not take away from the amazing things that this show did. It did some special, incredible stuff. And it did what I love Disney plus has been doing. Sam Wilson, Bucky Barnes, call it what you want. B to C list MCU characters, supporting characters at best. Captain America fodder propelled them into the A category, at least Sam Wilson. You know, a new Captain America is a very tall task after 10 years of Steve Rogers, but man, they did that well. To accomplish that, like that's something that people need to put more weight on than not, is like to properly, organically, and appropriately introduce a new Captain America. That's an incredible thing. Also, I listened to the score yesterday. You don't get a lot of guitar in uh, the MCU, which I really dig. Like it's been Ragnarok and Falcon Winter Soldier, I feel like, and I think they both crush it. I think they both crush the use of an electric guitar in a comic book movie. Um, my top three: um, Hawkeye number three, WandaVision at number two, No Way Home at number one. It's gonna be a shock to a lot of people. Like you know, I'm the WandaVision guy. I think No Way Home's that good. <laughs> I really do. And, you know, I just talked about the reason Falcon Winter Soldier is at six because I do have, like, narrative plot problems with it. No Way Home has plenty of plot problems. You want to talk about emotion. <laughs> and so, you know, we're going to have the direct awards here in a week or so. We're going to be talking plenty about No Way Home. So I'm going to talk about WandaVision. The experience of WandaVision, the community aspect of it. You know, I'm not even going to talk, you know, I'm not talking yet about the actual show itself. The community that we developed throughout WandaVision, and by we, I mean anybody who watched it and then got on Twitter, was some of the most fun I've ever had watching a TV show ever. It reminded me of those last few seasons of Game of Thrones, where every time you met someone who has seen the show, that was the conversation you were having. You were talking about what your theories were, why they were that way, and wanting to ask, like, like you were excited to learn what people thought was going to happen in WandaVision. Like, that is a level of um, anticipation that it took game of thrones years to reach they did it here with one uh one series the whole tv thing you're you're pulling it right out of my heart and putting it on screen that's made for me wandavision was a show made for me and the whole tv thing was a huge part of it i took tv classes in college like i'm a tv historian in a lot of respects like i don't think that like i'm not a doctor of television but i've taken three college classes about tv you know, so the fact that they leaned into that and did it so well, oh my God, I think they nailed every single tone they were going for. I love that. Um, then you get into the performances, you know, Paul Bettany and Lizzie Olsen, they should be in every movie moving forward. Like, like they crushed it every single week, week in, week out with a totally different assignment every time. And then you get into the story. I talked about how the theories and everything, what a gripping edge of your seat story, no action, you know. No, no, you know, huge set pieces by any means, but they really grabbed us with that. Like every single episode, when you saw Please Stand By, your heart dropped. And it was just an amazing, like, like that's how I remember WandaVision was every single time Please Stand By popped up. I was so sad that this episode was over every single time, nine straight weeks, eight straight weeks. I can't. I can't praise WandaVision enough. The fact that it's number two on my list does hurt a little bit, 
I do think No Way Home has the advantage of being an end game, you know, like, like, like it has the stakes to propel it up, which is fine. I'm not mad about that, but WandaVision is something special. So just to recap my list, number nine, what if number eight, Eternals, number seven, Black Widow, number six, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, number five, Loki, number four, Shang-Chi, number three, Hawkeye, number two, WandaVision, and number one, Spider-Man, no way home. Liam, let's get a recap. Real quick, number nine, what if, number eight, Black Widow, number seven, Eternals, number six, Loki, number five, Hawkeye, number four, Shang-Chi, number three, Spider-Man No Way Home, number two, WandaVision, and number one, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right, Liam. So something we haven't done yet, we kind of did it a little bit last week with No Way Home. Let's talk about where Hawkeye falls on your overall MCU rankings. You have it at number four or five on your list here. I have it at number five. So number five. So it's Dead at middle. least, yeah, it's at least behind Shang-Chi, Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and No Way Home for you. Where does it fall on your overall list? Now here's where we get a little confusing, right? Sure. <laughs> because I ranked this in my in my personal MCU rankings last week. And I ranked my my 2022 MCU projects today. Last week, it fell at number 11 on my MCU rankings, sandwiched between WandaVision at number 10 and Shang-Chi at number 12. But when I thought back to 2021, I was like, when did I have a great time at the theater? Shang-Chi edged out Hawkeye. So I think, I, you know, it, it's one of those weird things where I don't even feel comfortable right now putting Shang-Chi above Hawkeye on my personal MCU rankings. But I do feel comfortable putting it above Hawkeye on my 2021 rankings so that's where you know it's it's fluid here it's not necessarily nothing's rigid nothing's set in stone projects are gonna go up down sideways or in circles it's a wazi fairy dust fairy I dust. I think I'm, I'm fine with it at number 11 I'm happy where it is right outside the top 10 which is way more than I could ask for for a project that I think fell under the radar for a lot of people and it nails the small small MCU story, which is something I'm always looking forward to whenever uh, the MCU decides to tackle it. So I'm, I'm going to lock it in now. Hawkeye, number 11 on my personal MCU rankings. I agree with everything you said. Um, I love everything about Hawkeye for what it was, not what it was trying to be. Um, I'm currently ranking it in my master MCU list right here, right now, live on air. And Ooh. just like just like I did with No Way Home last week, <laughs> um, it's uh, it's interesting. I uh, I just I'm floating around Age of Ultron and Avengers right now. I have Avengers at 11 and Age of Ultron at 12. I'm wondering if I should push Hawkeye either in between or above those two into my number 11 spot or 12 spot, or do I keep it at 13 right behind Age of Ultron? Because people forget Hawkeye made Age of Ultron better. The 18,000. MCU project that makes Age of Ultron better. Um, yeah, these are agents. Uh, also an agent, little agent. Uh, good <laughs> stuff. Uh, he was right. Tony Stark was right. Think about that for a second. Like, yeah. like that was a joke. He nailed it. He fucking nailed it. Um, I am going to. Yeah, I love the show. I love Haley Steinfeld. I love everything about it. I'm going to put it at number eleven as well. Um, I'm going to throw it uh, right behind Thor Ragnarok and just above the Avengers. Um, in 2012, which is tough. And again, I'm sure that's not going to stay that way, but I genuinely think that Hawkeye was 
a master class in letting your characters drive your show. Like, like this wasn't big. This is the opposite of Loki. Hawkeye is the opposite of Loki. It's not changing the MCU. It's literally like playing around in a small little puddle within the ocean of the MCU. But getting the character development we got with Clint Barton, that phone call with Nate alone, I think is just, you know, something special for that character and giving him depth that we've never gotten before. I think that the, uh, the story itself was mysterious enough, but also goofy in a lot of ways, but which was really great with the tone. The overall tone of the show was uh, my favorite of the year, but it, for me, it comes down to Kate Bishop. It comes down to Haley Steinfeld. I really, hottest take I have, I guess, I really do think she's going to be the next RDJ where every single project she's in is immediately has a, an elite tier floor because she brings that much to a movie. You know, it's hard to find a movie with RDJ in it that isn't, you know, baseline great just because he's in it. You know, as many problems as I have with Iron Man 2, as many problems as I have with Iron Man 3, those are still movies I love because Robert Downey Jr. and I think Haley Steinfeld has that move. Yeah, wow. I mean, that's that's quite the stamp of approval. I, I think she's on track to that. It's going to take, you know, longer sure. than RDJ <laughs> to prove per se because RDJ was the foundation. He started just on a rocket ship and just took that thing to the moon. So yeah, Haley Steinfeld, I think, is way up there in terms of talent. It's a huge get for the MCU this early on, this young in her career, because despite how popular she is, she's still a blossoming A-list actress. And I think it's only up from here. So Hawkeye, both of our number 11 sandwiched between very different projects. Um, but yeah, I think we're on the same wavelength when it comes to that show. <laughs> Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been our MCU rankings. There you go. We'll We'll do more ranking stuff throughout next year. Um, you know, we'll insert it here and there. If once we get a better idea of the release schedule for the MCU, I think we'll have a better idea of when we're going to insert rankings into these shows because I like doing them in groups. Um, but you know, this has been fun. What a year! What a year for the MCU. Thank you guys so much. And you know what, Liam? This year was great. But you know what else I'm excited for? Next year. With one of the most fruitful calendar years of content behind us 2022 promises to be even bigger it cannot be understated what we're getting in the next calendar year from the mcu alone this is what's confirmed dr strange multiverse of madness moon knight thor love and thunder black panther wakanda forever she hulk miss marvel i am groot the guardians holiday special as well as maybe secret invasion and an untitled marvel halloween special for dc we have the batman the flash black adam aquaman and the lost kingdom and peacemaker and then for star wars we at least have obi-wan kenobi to look forward to on the streaming side as well as possibly andor and mando season three. Oh my god so much content so much that we're craving to get done right in 2022 so it's only appropriate Matt and I bring you our second annual wish lists, our 2022 wish lists, what we want the most out of the next year of comic book movies, TV shows, news, rumors, castings, and what have you. We're going to build a list together. These are not necessarily in an order. These are just 10 things we both want to happen in the next calendar year. Matt, I'll go to you first. What is your first submission to our direct podcast 2022 wish list right on like i said i got kind of like three big ones for each universe and then um a few smaller ones so you know it'd be front-loaded here 
for me, but um, I'm going to do something we don't do here on the direct podcast very much. Let's start with Star Wars. Okay. You know what I mean? We'll start with the yellow brand here. Um, I would like in 2022 for Star Wars to embrace becoming a streaming franchise. Liam, from the years 2010, 2020, what was the biggest premium show? Mandalore. Uh, 2010 to 2020. Oh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones. A hyperfictional yet grounded geopolitical supernatural fantasy with romance, drama, and action. It presents its lore and history in an interesting and exciting way. It, it appropriately developed virtually every single character in the story. And it has no less than three major storylines happening all at once. And then it fumbled the ending. But my point is, they took their time. They creatively leaned into the fantasy of it all. And they had everyone on the edge of their seats for a decade. Take all of the amazing things that Game of Thrones did, but in space. <laughs> you know, add a Star Wars logo. Add a touchstone to this lore that we've had for our entire lives. And then a Disney tag at the end. I genuinely believe that what Star Wars has done with Mando season one and season two has put them in the spot to be the next Game of Thrones. And I know that sounds weird for Star Wars to be the next of anything, but from a streaming standpoint, for a streaming franchise, I think Star Wars has the juice. It has grounded us in this corner of the galaxy. It has established the time period and the surrounding events around it. And it took two seasons to plant seeds that are ready to grow right now. And there's multiple of them. That's something that only Game of Thrones has done, where it has so many different things happening all at once, but revolving around the same idea. You know, uh, King's Landing and just uh, what, it, what is the, the, the country of Game of Thrones? Westeros. Westeros. Westeros is a character in that show. I just talked about how Book of Boba Fett. Tatooine is a character in this show, and I'm really excited about that. Having the galaxy be a character in this Star Wars streaming franchise, I think is something I need to embrace, something I need to dive into. But at the end of the day, they took their time with Mando to introduce us to characters we care about. And now we're in a situation where we can really ramp that up. And you know, think about the finale of Mando season two. We had the Mandalore story. We have whatever's going on with Baby Yoda. We have whatever's going on with Ahsoka. We have whatever's going on with, um, you know, uh, what is it? Boba Fett right now. Sure. You know, there's so many different facets all happening at the same time in one episode. Extend that out into a streaming franchise. I think we could get a decade of Mando-type streaming content that ends in some sort of in-game level event. All they need to do is embrace the streaming model that they've already help reestablish in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, and I think they have the team to do it. And like you said at the very end there, the team to do it organized is the best way to do it. Kevin Feige lays out the next 10 years of MCU plans. Not everything is concrete, but at least has a blueprint to work off of. I really like that Mando, uh, not Mando necessarily, but star Wars as a whole on the streaming side, becoming the game of Thrones of streaming television could be something really cool. And I think, I think 2022 will at least uh, flesh that out further. My first submission, we're going to go with a Marvel one. Hashtag make TASM3. I want it to be cemented. I want an announcement. I want Andrew Garfield to officially confirm he is returning. And way back when, 
I remember it like it was yesterday in 2015 when they confirmed that Spider-Man was coming to the MCU and they would be rebooting the character. Amy Pascal or someone at Sony specifically said that the Amazing Spider-Man franchise was being put on hiatus. They didn't say they were canceling it. They didn't say they were scrapping it. They said they were putting it on hiatus. I think now is as good of a time as ever to make good on that promise, resurrect the Tasm movies, let Andrew Garfield finish his trilogy, strike while the iron is hot. This hashtag, hashtag make Tasm 3, has been trending since No Way Home came out. Over two weeks now. It goes up and down in the Twitter trends, but still, the, the conversation, the drive behind this movie, why not? Why would you not? If you're going to green light a Craven the Hunter movie, a Morbius movie, a Venom franchise, The Amazing Spider-Man 3 is a license to print money. And I genuinely believe coming off of the success of No Way Home, it could be a billion dollar movie in the TASM universe, which is crazy to think. But TASM 2 made uh, way over 700 million and Andrew Garfield is the hottest he's ever been. He's got seven plus more years of filmography credits and new fans on his side. Why not? Why not do this? have it take place in a different universe, what have you. And I'll go one step further. I want this confirmed in the Morbius post-credit scene. I want somehow, some way, us to get a Book of Boba Fett level post-credit scene where the, the final shot of that movie confirms a future project. I'm with you, man. Um, I just tweeted it, make 2003. I think that... Tasm to my only pushback to as far as like continuation of the Tasm franchise, Tasm two left so many messy threads un, untied, and um, it's going to be interesting to see if they even attempt to tie those back up. But after No Way Home, I think you know the opportunity's there, and if you can get the right people a part of the project, you can make it happen. Um, it's it's the idea of having two characters running at the same time you know, two Spider-Men in two different universes, you know, how are fans going to separate themselves? Like we said with No Way Home, like we are going to say with Multiverse of Madness for the next three months, it's going to be work. It's going to, it's going to, you know, it's going to take some mental fortitude from us to separate what's going on. It'll be, I, I don't want to say they're running out of Spider-Man stories to tell. I just, I, I don't want Tasm to step on what I hope they're doing with Tom Holland, but at the end of the day, yeah, make Tasm 3, you know, see if you can make it happen. And I think that, um, it'd be really cool. It'd be a really cool thing to see. I'm going to move over to the blue brand. You know, Marvel's on third on my list. What? Um, this is going to piss you off. Me personally. I mean, it's going to piss a lot of people off. Okay. Um, I want the DCEU to do what the Fox X-Men franchise did as far as reboot. And for those audio listeners, I quoted reboot. Um, I think it's the best option. It's not my favorite option. It's not an option I even like, but I think it's the only thing that they can do. And I'm not here to bash on what the DCU w- was from the years 2013 and 2017. And then again in 2021, but let's, let's just take a look at the mess they have on their hands. In my opinion, post justice league in 2017. So after justice league came out, here are the movies that we've gotten. We got an Aquaman movie that ties directly into Justice League. We got a Shazam movie that ties directly into the characters from Justice League. Superman shows up at the end, Batring, uh, Batarang, all that different stuff. Birds of Prey, which is a soft reboot of a movie that got another soft reboot in 2021. We have no idea you know, what's going on with that corner. 
and Wonder Woman 1984, which was a prequel to the Justice League and a sequel to the prequel of the Justice League. On 2022, here's what they have coming up. Black Adam, which is a prequel to Shazam, a movie based on Justice League characters. The Flash, which is supposed to bring back the Batman from Justice League and the Batman from 1989. Aquaman 2, which for now seems like a straight-up sequel, pulling away from that uh, uh, Justice League thing. So that's the only one that seems to be heading into the direction I'm hoping. Yeah! Um, yeah. <laughs> and, then, um, and then Batgirl, which is supposedly featuring the Alfred from Justice League, but the Batman from 1989. And it's a mess, man. Every project essentially has a tie into Justice League 2017, but also is trying to revert away from that with the Michael Keatons and the Black Adams and the, the flashpoint of it all, right? But um, despite the fact that Snyder, the Snyder Cut, tried to change the majority of the story that all of these movies are based on. Despite the fact that they seem to be replacing Ben Affleck with Michael Keaton which is to step backwards, <laughs> by the way. And despite the fact that it does not look like we have any Superman in sight. Nothing. That, you know, that we can like tangibly look at and say, hey, we have a Superman in something, right? The Batman, we have a Batman in something, but we don't know what Superman's going to be like. So with all that mess, what is the vision? You know, what's the idea moving forward? Like, don't tell me it's not a, why does it always have to be a cinematic universe? Because they're trying to make it one. They are. They're tying everything back into past movies. They're trying to do it, so do it right. And if you can't do it right, I feel like a hard reset needs to come. And I think Flashpoint, I'm calling it Flashpoint. It's just the Flash. Sure. Can we call it Flashpoint? Is that okay? Is that is that good shorthand? I don't think it's going to do justice to the amazing storyline that is Flashpoint, but... Or the book written by Flash Thompson. Uh, um, but oh, um, I think that <laughs> I think that what they should and can do in Flash is do what they did with the Foxman series and essentially be like, hey, we had movies in the past. They happened. They, they still exist. But we are moving forward with different characters and different uh, ideas on the same characters with new actors and everything. They did it in X-Men. It wasn't awesome. But they were at least able to make four or five movies out of it. I think they need to do that. And that's my wish. I hope they use Flash to do the soft reboot thing that Foxman did and give us new Batman stories, new Superman stories, new Wonder Woman stories, because what they have right now is too much of a mess to build on. If anything, they can backtrack. And I don't think that's what they need to do. Yeah, the foundations are rotten. You know, you can't build a house on rotten foundations. And I, my, my wish on top of that is for uh, Matt Ramke to be able to talk about the DCEU without gray hairs getting sprouted on the side of his head because, good Lord, every time we talk about these movies, I get a headache. I get a headache listening to you talk about just, like, the mess that is going on right now. And that was actually on my short list, specifically was for The Flash to reset the DCEU. So I'm, I'm with you there. And I just hope we get some sort of clear direction moving forward. I'll take, I'll take a positive spin with the blue brand, with my next submission, the Batman. I want the Batman to be not just a great film, but I want it to be an awards contender. I think everything that we're being promised so far in the marketing puts it on that pedestal to have Oscar buzz surrounding it. It's going to be difficult with it being a March release. Most Oscar buzz movies come out in the fall, in your Octobers and Novembers, but I think this has a genuine chance 
to snag at least a best original screenplay or best adapted screenplay, depending on how it's executed. Because right now we don't know if it's necessarily based on a graphic novel or whatnot. I believe this has the fortitude to get some hardware behind it. Um, More so than other comic book movies that have been coming out recently. I see a lot of people pointing to No Way Home being a Best Picture nominee. I personally don't see that, um, but I wouldn't be you know, upset if it, if it got it. The Batman, I think, has that kind of rich storytelling buzz behind it to hopefully be executed, not just as a great superhero movie, but a great film in general, and then gets recognized by some awards. Is that setting the, the standard too high? Maybe so, but I think we can't just hope for satisfactory with these DC projects. Sometimes we have to put them to a gold standard. And guys, it's Batman. Like we've gotten banger Batman movies all throughout the 21st century. Here's hoping that Robert Pattinson's iteration takes that number one spot. And I think it will. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a better movie than The Dark Knight. I do firmly believe it's going to be a better Batman movie than The Dark Knight. Sure, okay. We we will see um, my, my last big picture one for the red brand. Um, I hope, and I think that they already are. So this is a lame wish because I think they're already doing it, but I want them to make it feel like 2012 again. You know, the MCU nice. is playing a different game than everyone else, a different sport, a different league. No movie studio has the storytelling luxury that Marvel studios does. They have, they're able to pull 23 movies of payoff from the infinity saga at any time they can pay some random thing off and make a project better because of it they're able to introduce almost any new character they want with virtually blind approval from the public because they've done it time and time and time what in time again and they are now using a streaming service to support the movies and movies to support streaming services at a clip that nobody else is doing you know, nobody else has been able to do that yet. And they've done it already nine times over in 2021. But my wish is that they continue to treat new characters like they did in 2012. We got Endgame and then we got Loki and then we got No Way Home all within a phase of each other, all within a couple years of each other. I understand that it's easy for fans to want every project to change the scope of the MCU. I get that. You know, we've gotten a lot of that in recent years, but we need to remember how this all started. Iron Man character-driven comic book movie that focuses on Tony Stark first and Tony Stark second. We fell in love with that character in that movie right away. And that's what the MCU has built on is falling in love with the characters in their first movies. And then using that connection fans have with the characters to make the second movie better and the third movie better, and then have an Avengers movie to pay off everything all coming together. Like it's, it, everything that we get in Endgame, No Way Home, Loki, all these massive game-changing projects is because we love each and every single character that they've introduced. And they've done such a good job doing that over the years, and they continue to do a good job with that. I look at Shang-Chi, one of the best origin stories in comic book movie history for Shang-Chi, the second most popular Marvel martial arts guy. Think about that. Like this, yeah. this would have been an Iron Fist movie had Netflix never existed. That's a fact. Like, like, you know, from an IP standpoint, they would have done Iron Fist instead of Shang-Chi. They made Shang-Chi like a classic vintage MCU movie where we fell in love with this character and we really got to know what this guy was about, what his history was, what his powers are, and how we can all 
work with that emotionally. And then at the very end, Brie Larson and Mark Ruffalo shows up. Now, welcome to the circus. That's exactly how it should go. Introduce a character, make us fall in love with them. Welcome to the circus. And I just hope that they continue to do that because in 2022, look at the nine projects we got in uh, 2021. Only two of them were titled under new characters, Eternals and Shang-Chi. Now in 2022, we have Moon Knight. We have Miss Marvel. We have all these other projects that are introducing new characters. And I just hope they, they treat every single one of them with the same care that they've treated all the characters in the past and all the characters moving forward. I love that. 2012 was a really special year. Uh, looking back to it beyond just uh, the Avengers movie coming out, we got the amazing Spider-Man one with Andrew Garfield, our first Spider-Man reboot. And we got the Dark Knight Rises. What? Like what a crazy year. For, for comic book movies and yeah in terms of the mcu specifically making it feel like 2012 again would be pretty special because marvel put all their chips in that basket it's the only time an avengers movie has been the only release in a calendar year every subsequent avengers movie age of ultron infinity war endgame all had other movies get released in the same year marvel put everything in on 2012's avengers and it launched this universe into what it is today iron man obviously started everything but avengers emphasized that we're a part of a much bigger world and now we know it so i think that's awesome i think that's a really unique uh and great submission to this wish list i will go with my star wars pick now very specific here i want obi-wan kenobi season not just obi-wan kenobi as the week-to-week episodes come out but the weeks leading up to it I want it to feel like 2015 again as, as my callback year. The Force Awakens, the year leading up to that movie was so damn special. Like as, as a resurrected Star Wars fan, because I grew up on the prequels and I kind of fell out of love with Star Wars throughout most of my adolescence. When I was 14 years old, freshman year of high school, and that first Force Awakens trailer came out on Christmas Day, I believe, 2014 there has been an awakening have you felt it the dark side and the light and then we got the star wars celebration trailer with han solo chewy were home and then we led into that monday night football game with that epic official trailer who are you i'm no one it was the the trailers the hype surrounding that movie and then in my opinion too at least I think The Force Awakens delivered. I walked out of that movie like a kid on a candy store, excited for the future of Star Wars. And then I felt, you know, subsequent films and everything and kind of let the air out a bit. Obi-Wan Kenobi, I hope we have that same giddy optimism feel every single Wednesday morning when this show comes out. But even before then, I hope we're excited to hop on these microphones and, oh my God, did you see the new trailer? Oh my God, did you see that new still image? Did you hear what Ewan McGregor said in that interview with Entertainment Weekly? That magic of Star Wars comes around so rarely, so rarely. And if they can nail it with this show, this, this legacy show, this nostalgia show that's going to give us Obi-Wan, Darth Vader, Empire era Star Wars once again. Tatooine. Tatooine. Like there's so much, so much that this show has riding for it. And if they can execute it to not even just perfection, to satisfactory, because I'm not looking for this show to be the Empire Strikes Back in terms of quality. I'm just looking for an elongated era where we can hop on these microphones in two years time 
and look back and say, man, that Obi-Wan era, just like right now, we talk about the WandaVision era. I think that would be pretty epic. Right. Stole the words out of my mouth. Um, I love that. And I, and I hope that it happens. I'm going to skip ahead to my Obi-Wan wish, you know, cause I have one as well. It's a little different. Um, talked about how Obi-Wan's a legacy show. It really is. It's a, it's a show set in between two movies where we already have an animated series that dives into that a little bit. Um, it's, it's interesting. We got the final battle between Obi-Wan and Vader in episode three. Then we got the other, the real final battle on episode four. Now we're going to get the in-between, even though we've gotten some of that um, in uh, uh, the uh, animated stuff. So there's a lot of, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of confusion for anybody who's connected to all of it to know like, okay, where is this exactly set? What do I need to know? You know, what's changed? You know, he hasn't met Luke yet. He hasn't met Han yet, but he knows who Luke is because that's why he's there and all these different things, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of rules and parameters that these showrunners have to work within. You know what I mean? So you got to find creative uh, storytelling within that. What I hope they avoid is what I believe happened with rise of Skywalker. Make this more than just fan service. There's so much opportunity for fan service in Obi-Wan. And I just really hope that they don't overuse that. Um, you know, I just talked about how the MCU can pull a payoff at any time and automatically get a pop out of anybody watching. And, you know, you can call it cheap if you want. If you do it well, though, it's amazing fan service. But if you rely on fan service, I feel like that's where you lose some of the heart of your movies and shows. That's what happened on Rise of Skywalker, I think. I think they relied on fan service to the point where it didn't have anything organic involved. I think Obi-Wan has so much opportunity to go that way that my wish is that they don't. I just really hope that they don't um, I hope that they don't become burdened by payoff and Easter eggs and fan service and things like that to the point where we don't have a new creative story. This is just an Obi-Wan highlight package. I hope that this is a story that gives us more depth to this character, a character that we have plenty of depth with already. Just give us more of it. That's fine. You know, they made how many Wolverine movies did they make? You know what I mean? Like a lot, <laughs> um, at least four originals. <laughs> um, so I think that what they can do here is give us this character we love, give us this actor we love and this lore that we love and use him to tell a new and creative story. And that way you get the best of both worlds. You know, you don't have to have, a world-changing story when you have Obi-Wan Kenobi. People are going to watch it. Give me some spy Jedi shit. Give me a, give me a look at something we're familiar with that we've never seen before. A, you know, a hidden corner of this Jedi world. And that's all I hope for is just don't be just fan service. Be more than fan service. I love that because that's something that's very, very, very important. And I would like to think Ewan McGregor doesn't sign on to this unless right. there is a good story to be told. And so I'm going into Obi-Wan with some optimism. I do not want to have that kind of like, oh, here we go, Star Wars. Like, hope they don't fuck it up, per se. Like, I think Obi-Wan has reason to believe that it's going to be a good story on top of just fan service. I think that's a very uh, important submission to this list. My next one, we'll go back to the MCU. I want that Fantastic Four casting announcement, baby. I feel oh. like it would be really, really weird if we, do, if we don't get it at some point in the next 365 days, especially if that movie is going to come out at some point in 2023. Uh, it would be a very late, late casting announcement if they save it until the year that it's supposed to come out. I think we're going to get it. I, I hope uh, it takes me by surprise. I hope it also meets some expectations. 
this is one of the most crucial casting announcements in Marvel Studios history, honestly, because it's a, a third reboot of a franchise that just didn't work the first two go-arounds. And if done right, this could be the foundation moving forward. Reed Richards could be as big of a player as a Tony Stark, as a Stephen Strange, as a Charles Xavier moving forward in the MCU. Johnny Storm could be as big of a player uh, on the smaller scale uh, as like as a Spider-Man moving forward. Obviously, Spider-Man had a very big role in his first three movies and also his team-up movies. But moving forward, it looks like he's going to be back to the friendly neighborhood and Johnny Storm could play along with that pretty well. Nailing this casting announcement is going to be big, but I just want to see who they have in mind because I think it's going to take us by surprise. I think it's also going to reaffirm some ones that have been speculated for a while. And even more than the four family members, I think that Dr. Doom announcement is going to be massive. But I don't even know if we get it this early. I don't even know if Doom is in the first movie per se. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they handle these uh, supplementary aspects of that movie. You know, we've gotten two Dooms. We've gotten Galactus twice. You know, we've gotten Silver Surfer um it's it's i can't wait man i just i'm you i say i'm not a chalk fan casting guy when i put cena earlier and uh dick montgomery and all that different stuff but you know krasinski is reed richards like this is Too perfect jump to, jump to superstardom that we all want and need and, and and the thing is just about that real quick that's the kind of like pop or cameo that you can put in a show like you know say black panther 2 say shuri is you know chatting with somebody and somebody's like well we have this you know american scientist to come help you out this aerospace engineer there it is and then john krasinski turns the corner nobody needs to explain that that's reed richards for everybody to immediately know that's reed richards and if you don't guess what it's jim from the fucking office get excited like like he's the kind of casting that you can get a pop just on face value you don't need to say reed richards first you just need to show him and i think that's a special moment that you can capture um i'm gonna stick with the black panther franchise for my mcu wish and it's a vague one it's kind of weird but you know i i feel passionately about it continue the black panther franchise continue the path you've started on because i think that Obviously, the passing of Chadwick Boseman is very sad and tragic and something that we're all going to need to deal with on different levels. And it's not that this movie is more important than his passing, but I think his legacy is he was the face of the most important comic book movie of all time, at least one of. Um, you know, like, like the movement of Black Panther was something that we can't forget because that was something special, not just for comic book movies, but for any person of color who's ever wanted to see themselves on screen. And I think that it is something that we can't forget because I think had Chadwick Boseman not passed away, I would say that Black Panther 2 is under more pressure to be great than any other movie on a comic book movie slate. Uh, More than No Way Home. I mean that because Black Panther 2 is a sequel to one of the most important comic book movies of all time. It is a sequel to the movie that introduced this whole new corner of the MCU. One of the most fan favorite locations in the MCU is Wakanda. This is your chance to step on, you know, get above that, build on that. But because Chadwick Boseman did pass away, I think this movie in some respects is going to get a pass of quality because, well, you know, it it turned out, you know, hypothetical, arbitrary numbers. If it comes out as a seven out of 10, we're all going to be like, well, what would it have been if Chadwick was there? I think you need to 
embrace that adversity. You need to embrace the legacy of Chadwick Boseman and make this movie as great as it could possibly be and do that by paying tribute to him, to Chala as a character, but also continuing Wakanda, continuing the Black Panther story, continuing whatever's happening with Shuri and Okoye and um, uh, Okoye and um, what's Lupita Nyong'o's character? Oh, Naomi? Uh, Nakia. Nakia, that sounds right. Nakia, yeah. So you have that trio of incredible characters that we met in Black Widow and Okoye, Shuri, and Nakia. And to take them and help and allow them to propel this franchise forward, I think is going to be the best way to tribute Chadwick Boseman is to allow the characters that helped him make Black Panther propel it into the next generation. And, you know, this is, I know this is vague and weird and it sounds like I'm, it might sound like I'm making, you know, like, you know, it's not about Chadwick Boseman's death. It's about the movie. I think it's important to continue what Chadwick started with the crew that he started with. And it's those three characters. It's moving it forward like that. And a little side wish here. If they could make T'Challa pass away in the MCU from colon cancer, the same way Chadwick Boseman did in real life, I think that would be such a special moment, not just for Chadwick, not just for his family, but anybody who's lost somebody to cancer. It's a real thing. And it happens every day. What if it got to a superhero? I think this is an, an amazing moment to pay tribute to his death just as much as his life. And that's so Black Panther, right? Damn, man. You got me in my feels uh, with, yeah. with that last submission. Uh, Black Panther was actually on my, my short list and it was going to be my final submission. A little bit of a, a different um, uh, way that you than you took it, but also along the same lines. Uh, I just hope that they do justice by Chadwick Boseman because unfortunately this movie is being marred in controversy with everything going on behind the scenes. And I really hope that selfishness doesn't get in the way of what needs to be a great legacy tribute film uh, to one of the most important actors of this generation. Um, I, Chadwick Boseman, as T'Challa for as, as short of a tenure as he had, left his mark on the MCU that will be felt forever. And as you mentioned, carrying on that legacy, carrying on what he started um, is very important. And I really, really hope uh, that Black Panther 2 does justice by Chadwick. And I just want to reiterate one more time. I think the most appropriate way to carry on that legacy is through the characters that were there with him. And that's Okoye, Shuri, and Akia. Yeah, I, I hear that completely. So to switch up with my final submission to our wish list, I kind of have a very broad one. And that's just to define phase five. Because Ooh. we're nearing the end of phase four, I think. And I say I think yeah. because we got the phase four announcement at Comic-Con 2019. And since then, we've added Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Miss Marvel, uh, I believe Secret Invasion. That might have been announced at Comic-Con. Either way, we've added so much since then. And we've also maybe pushed some stuff out of phase four. Blade was announced at Comic-Con, and we don't know if we're getting that in this parameters. We, we need to define where phase four ends and where phase five begins. I'm not necessarily asking for project announcements um, because, you know, we've been getting announcements every single year. And eventually we're going to we're going to catch up to them eventually. But you can't keep announcing stuff when we still haven't got some of the stuff that has been previously announced. I just hope we get a clear endpoint as to when phase four ends and when phase five begins. It's been very natural for past phases 
to be an Avengers movie marks the end of a phase or sometimes the epilogue to an Avengers movie and said phase. I, I look at Ant-Man in 2015, Far From Home in 2019, and even maybe Iron Man 3 because it's directly from Avengers consequences, but it also kind of kicks off what we get in phase two moving forward. So I am hoping for a clear definition as to when phase four ends and when phase five begins. And I, I think that they obviously have a plan, but for the first time in MCU history, it is very, very gray as to when certain parameters are being set. Well, there's not an Avengers movie to give us that nod, you know, like in past phases, it's been an Avengers movie and that's either the end of it or it's the next one, you know, like you said, the epilogue. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. And that's a big question in the MCU right now. What is going on with the Avengers? You know, we have Carol and Bruce and that's really our biggest clue as to what's happening with the Avengers right now is uh, Captain Marvel and Bruce talking to Shang-Chi. And I think that that's an exciting thing, but you're right. And I, if, if I was ranking this list, that would be my number one. Define when this next phase is going to come out. And like, basically, out of all the announced projects, which ones are in phase four? That's, that's, how, that's how they would have to do it. You know what I mean? Which of the announced projects are phase five projects? And then, then we can kind of figure out what the end of phase four is going to be. I love that. Um, I only have Marvel ones from here on out. But, um, uh, the, and these, these are, are real quick. These are our, our stocking stuffers. These are our honorable mentions. Because that is our, our 10 right there. That was 10? Yeah. I only said, oh, I did say five. Yeah. Because I said the Obi-Wan one. Well, how about that? Hey, that's our wish list. I love it. Good stuff. But so, I want I, I do want to hear your honorable mentions. Yeah. I got two. I got I got two. Um let Oscar Isaac eat, man. Yes. Let him eat. Let this dude act his ass off. Like this character has so many opportunities for WandaVision levels of range where you know it's multi-personality stuff. Let Oscar Isaac go to work as the suave business guy, the frantic schizophrenic, the the worried cab driver, the gritty crime fighter, everything. Let him do everything. And uh, that's what I really hope. And then my last one, my other stocking suffer. I want secret invasion to make me uncomfortable. Yeah. I want to I want to okay. I want to hate watching it. I want to hate watching it like I hated watching Stranger Things. Like I love that show. I hated it. it ah made me <laughs> nervous all the time forever. And um, I, I don't, a criticism I heard about WandaVision was, well, it didn't reach the scale of the comics and the comics had touched every single person in the universe. And this should have been a entire phase should have been dedicated to the house of M story and all that stuff. Welcome to 2021. We can't have everything be an end game level event, even though Loki and, and Eternals tried. Right. Um, but I want secret invasion. It's not going to touch every single character in the Marvel cinematic universe, but I think it's going to touch a lot of them. And while doing that, the most you can do make me feel so uncomfortable with who to trust, who not to trust the twist ending of probably multiple episodes of this show is going to be crazy. Like, like I, I want to know, I don't want to know, but like, imagine what it's going to be like when the character we never expected to be a scroll ends up being a scroll. Yeah. Like that's going to be nuts. And I want to feel that tension every second of every day for an entire month. Yeah. And going on top of that, I do have a couple secret invasion wishes and going off of what you said about that unexpectedness. I please don't make it be Sharon Carter uh, power broker level where it's like that reveal was also just not epic, right? Like they, we can predict who these scrolls are going to be 
and even knowing so have the reveal be uh, unbelievable we all knew right. evan peters was in wandavision yet when he showed up it still made us all lose our minds so uh, i think yeah having those reveals be meaningful but also take us by surprise not just for surprise's sake absolutely not like make it fit the story but i hope we are so wrong with all of our speculation yeah, i hope, yeah, I yeah, hope yeah. we are yeah. so off every single week uh, but on top of that, my stocking stuffer, I really only have one that I didn't get to on my short list. Uh, I think I think safe secret invasion probably for either December 2022 or January 2023. And I say that because there's so much coming out in the next calendar year. And that's a series you cannot afford to get lost in the shuffle. Not that it would. Don't get me wrong. But Miss Marvel confirmed for some time in the summer uh moon knight i were expecting for some time in the first quarter uh same thing with she hulk already been confirmed for 2022 and even i am groot which i no one's like losing their minds over excited wise <laughs> but you can't have that show come out at the same time as something else because they yeah. want to spread the wealth with disney plus so, uh, secret invasion i believe needs to come out before the marvels and the marvels is currently due for a mid-february release Six episode miniseries, start that thing in January, have that lead directly into a movie. The first time we would have ever seen that, I think could be really, really special. Don't don't cram it into an already packed 2022 schedule. I know Kevin Feige doesn't do that. It's the reason why Miss Marvel didn't come out in October, which we originally expected it to. Save Secret Invasion. Or, yeah. or not necessarily save it, but find an appropriate place for it. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, people can say like, you know, well, why does it matter what comes out around it? You know, Hawkeye's both in both of our top 12, but I think the, I do think that like, you know, the finale lost a little bit of luster because we were all riding that no way home high. And I think the scheduling, you know, may have hurt that a little bit. You talked about it earlier with the Falcon and Winter Soldier. It was going to get compared to WandaVision no matter what. And I think that, um, you know, that did hurt it just as far as like expectations of excitement. You know what I mean? We weren't gabbing about Falcon Winter Soldier for seven straight days after every episode. We didn't need to. It wasn't that kind of show. So I agree that the scheduling of Secret Invasion is very important. Yeah, and that's our list right there. Those are some honorable mentions. To recap what we have on our official top 10 wish list in no particular order, my submissions go as follows. Hashtag make TASM3, make it official. The Batman becomes an awards contender. Obi-Wan season feels like 2015 Star Wars again. Fantastic Four are cast for the MCU and define where phase four ends and phase five begins. Matt's submissions are Star Wars becomes the next Game of Thrones in terms of storytelling, reboot slash reset the DCEU, MCU make it feel like 2012 again, make Obi-Wan more than just fan service, and finally, perhaps the most important on this list, Black Panther 2 continues the path that Black Panther 1 started. Those are our 2022 wishlist submissions but we also want to hear from you hit us up on socials at liam t crowley at matt remke r-o-e-m-b as in boy k-e let us know what you want to happen in the next calendar year for comic book movies and tv shows because there are plenty of projects we didn't even touch we didn't even talk about dr strange multiverse of madness and there is a top 10 we both individually have of stuff we want to see happen in that movie <laughs> alone let us know on socials what we missed let us know on socials what you want to see we're looking forward to it. That was a quick question. Two quick questions. That was a sizzle reel, a trailer breakdown within the sizzle reel. That was a review. That was an interview. That was a ranking segment. That was a wish list. And that is an episode. 
Direct Podcast, episode 66, one of our most segmented shows of all time. And we hope you had a great time with this episode because I had a great time talking about all these different subjects. And what I also have a great time talking about is our weekly recommendations outside of the world, the wacky world of comic book movie news, reviews, interviews, casting announcements, and whatnot. I'll kick things off with my weekly recommendation Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty, oh. The Witcher, I watched 16 episodes in the span of two days to prepare for that interview. And while it had ups and downs in terms of quality and storytelling, because it was difficult to follow at times, man is the score phenomenal. But specifically, there is an original song by the actor who plays Yaskier. And he's kind of like, the the not the jester to Henry Cavill's uh, Geralt of Rivia, but he he follows him around and he sings songs for him, and he's like, "You're kind of kind of in some Hawkeye uh, uh, vibes. Your problem is branding, Geralt. You know, you need people to know who you are." And he writes him this ballad, "Toss a Coin to Your Witcher," and I have been going around my house for the past week just saying that out loud, and my mom goes, "What does it mean, Liam? What does this mean?" And I go, "Mom." you'd have to sit down for an hour for me to explain it to you but toss a coin <laughs> to your witcher oh valley of plenty it's a banger and i can't get enough of it yeah uh i've i've heard nothing but great things from the witcher so i am very excited to uh, dive into it someday and we got a friend of the show on it right now so that's very exciting liam my weekly recommendation is not really a recommendation at all it is a uh an r.i.p uh a tribute um rest in peace john madden um uh, you know, for those who don't know, John Madden was a legendary head football coach for the uh, Oakland and um, Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders. It um, he was a announcer for every big NFL game for like thirty years, and of course, he is the namesake for the Madden video game franchise. And this man, you know, rather it be his announcing or his video game that he helped create and has been, you know, the biggest sports game of all time forever. Um, it has made me fall in love with football. My favorite sport, such a big part of my life in so many ways. Um, you know, just John Madden himself, listening to him talk about football makes me want to watch football. Playing those Madden video games is such a huge part of my childhood. And um, so many of my friendships from when I was younger revolved around playing Madden. Like as stupid as that sounds, like, that is what we did. We would sit around the TV and we would play Madden. And it was just some of my favorite memories as a kid growing up was doing just that. And, um, you know, beyond that, I would stay up late at night, throw on Madden and just read names off the roster. Just know where people went to college, how fast they are, how tall they are, how much they weigh and so many different things. And just one step further, Madden covers, you know, like it's such a big thing every single year. That's what got me into graphic design. I wanted to make my own Madden cover. I wanted Dallas Clark to be on it. So I just, you know, I found out how to do that on the internet and it was cheap and it was stupid, but I wanted to make my own Madden cover. And that's where I am today. I'm a professional graphic artist because of Madden and because of John Madden. And, you know, one of the best personalities in all of sports, um, somebody who really shaped modern day NFL and really is such a huge part of my life. So rest in peace, John Madden. Doink. Yeah, rest in peace, John Madden. It was it was tough news to see on the Twitter timeline, but uh, yeah, the impact he's had on on your life and all of our lives uh, is cannot be understated. One more quick tribute uh, before we get out of here. Happy birthday, Stanley! Would have been his 99th birthday this past week. 
talk about a guy who's who's touched all of our lives quite literally has, has shaped my life from here until the future i know i can say the same for matt as well so happy birthday stan lee uh we hope you're looking down very proud at everything you've created and man i, I hope you got the chance to see spider-man no way home at an early screening up right? there in the clouds because that dude would have cried for two and a half hours straight so happy oh. birthday stan lee rest in peace john madden we'll see you next week for more direct podcast when a humble bar graced a ride along with Geralt of Rivia, along came this song. When the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves and his hooves did they revel. They came after me with masterful deceit, broke down my loot, and they kicked in my teeth. While the devil's horns minced our tender meat, and so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed. Toss a coin to your witcher, O oh valley of plenty, O oh valley of plenty, oh. Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty. We can talk honorable mentions that aren't our like needs per se. Sure. Our, our, our stocking stuffers. Yes. That yeah. would actually look kind of cool on a graphic if you're trying to go actually crazy. But <laughs> my, uh, my mom. Well, like went all in on stocking stuffers my whole life like that was like like obviously we got you know we, we were the family like you get one big gift and then a bunch of little gifts yeah but like the I just like unwrapping stuff. stuff yeah that's the best part the stocking stuffers was the jam you know yeah. it was all the little things you never knew that you needed my yeah. mom loves to just like it'll be like a pack of like five gum like the three packs in one uh-huh. and then there's like a gift card taped to it i'm like yeah that's Love it. 10 10 bucks chick-fil-a easy the double up and then you have gum for afterwards which is great exactly um awesome okay all right i'm ready to get going